0: Hello, this is uh, Northern Lights and it's me, Seamus and today I'm on the top of a hill uh, fairly close to where I live it's called Ubarrow, um, looking out the beautiful view with one of the largest and most active thunderstorms I've seen for a while Off to the, off to the right hand side of me and to the left hand side Sun shining, it's 30 degree heat. The other side, it's raining and it's thundering, lightning. Oh, and I thought I'd do uh, a short podcast today about. Uh, it's quite intimidating if you can hear it, but uh, yeah, my podcast today was going to be about uh, my past and where, where I used to live, basically, because where I'm sat now, I'm overlooking. Uh, my previous uh, living location as you would say and uh, yeah, anyway for 12 years of my life um, I lived uh, at Crook Farm and Crook Farm was a farm owned by a really nice old woman named Wendy Armistead and she just was out there to help people she was just a real nice person out help, out there helping people, basically. And she ha- was running a small campsite at the end of this long, uh, mile-long track in Haverthwaite, or near Haverthwaite, Beheld. And uh, during, like, the uh, busy parts of summer... Holy shit. Yeah, in the busy parts of summer... She'd have campers on the field to pay enough money to pay for what she needed to get by in life. It was fairly remote. There was no, no, not no buildings or houses or people anywhere near. Really, nowhere near. So, yeah, and uh, this this plot of land is called Crook Farm outside of Bowth and it's going to go down as the best, it's going to have the... Uh, it's got the biggest place in my heart um, ever, basically. There's there's no place on the planet that means more than Krug Farm, basically, that just means the world to me. And I'll do anything to live there again, or have it back. It got, uh, we got evicted, and we had to... It was quite a horrible move, but uh, we ended up getting kicked off the land uh, we're living self sufficiently in a caravan um, yeah, for twelve years, so I lived there for i was born there yeah, started out my life there and uh yeah, and I really want to talk about it and and get it off my chest what what it means to me and have it in i don't know have it in uh audio form basically what 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 it means to me because uh i'm I'm currently looking at it now and all it is is small farm building with a couple of barns nice couple of fields and uh it's it's in a woodland basically and then where the farmhouse is it opens out into a few different fields into the bottom of a valley and then you look down into the bottom of the valley and then you have a huge hill in front here called the dragon ewe barrow and i'm currently sat on the top of that building uh that uh, hill mountain (laughs) called Ybarra and the thunder is very vigorous I'm not sure how long I'm going to be sat here because it's extraordinarily dangerous so I'm just up here thunder watching Um, come to basically it's my only spot that I can look at um, Crook Farm from above and I don't know, sitting up here makes me want to talk about it and uh, yeah anyway so My parents moved there uh, probably over 25 years ago, probably. Probably even more. And my mum moved from Liverpool uh, up to local Ulverston. Uh, Well, it was up to Kendal, I think. She moved into Kendal, moved uh, into a caravan and then ended up going out with someone from Ulverston and and then picking up a, a hitchhiker. So I think she picked up a hitchhiker. Uh, her and her mates, on the way to Ulverston. And I think uh, my mum was looking for somewhere to live at the time. They were getting uh, evicted off the land that she lived on in Kendal. She lived in a caravan in Kendal um, well before I was born. Um, they were getting evicted from there, and they picked up this hitchhiker, and they must have been chatting away, and he mentioned a spot called Crook Farm down near uh, near Ulverston. So uh, my mum went to check it out with uh, Mark, her ex-partner, and there you go. Like, that must have been nearly 30 years ago, I don't know, and maybe, maybe, maybe more years, and uh, basically it was the uh, opening to my life, and my sister's life, and my brother's life, Um, and my mum and dad stayed there for many, many years, in different locations along, uh, on the farm, like we we lived in sheds and caravans, and, and we had yurts, and all sorts, and there wasn't just us, there was, there was many other people. We had Nutmeg, who still lives near us now, who's a, a old family friend. Dreadlocks. Works in a bobbin mill. And, uh Yeah, she had, a, a like, a yurt complex in the field. Some other people had yurts. One of my best mates, Noah, he used to live there for a bit. Basically, yeah, it's just... uh a campsite that you'd only really get on if, like, you wanted to have a loud party or make some noise or get out the way. Or possibly do drugs or anything. Like, it was so far out for that. Uh, You had to drive past a campsite to get there. And that one was a bit more prim and proper. And it would push people out and be like, No, to the next campsite. That one's the one for the uh, wrong-uns, as they would say. Oh, shit. I can't even see the mountains now. Uh, Basically, I sat up here hoping I'd be able to, like, not get struck by lightning. Now I can't even see the mountains. And there... we're about twenty miles away, fifteen miles away. So <coughs> um yeah my mum found about about uh yeah Crook Farm and ended up moving there in, in uh a couple of caravans in the top field. And that was uh yeah that was the start. And uh, skip past a fair few years of her fucking about. Uh, She ended up meeting my dad. And then, yeah, they ended up living there together, uh, her and my dad. Um, And then I was conceived. I think I was conceived in a caravan in Scotland or somewhere um, where my dad was working. And, uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, Yeah, so... In uh, 1998... I was uh, I was born in Barra Hospital and made my way back 10 days later to Crook Farm, the place that had held a huge place in my heart for the entirety of my life. And, uh, yeah, basically, the first, like, four or five years, uh, no, it's the first four years of, of living there, uh, i was brought up in a in a, a, a shed it was probably about the same size as a static caravan it, had, it was a very shed like shed uh one major room it had fireplace in it, it had a bed in it my dad had all his music equipment he was made into making music at that time loads of sheds outside An outside bath um, it was in the woods this shed it was it was just absolutely mesmerizing and uh yeah, I lived there for the first four years of my life uh, with my mum and my dad. No electricity, bearing in mind no running water. We had to walk down to the farmhouse to get uh, running water. There was a shower room there, which had a shower. Uh, it had running water and it had uh, a 12 volt battery charger for car batteries, which is mainly what we used when we lived in the woods. and then. Uh, it was getting the the site was getting more used for camping on uh, during school holidays and on weekends. So the landlady uh, said, uh, "We've got a caravan here for you. Do you mind if you move down to the main field and we use this shed for the toilet and shower blocks for the campers?" And we were a bit reluctant in the move, but uh, we met. We made it happen, and uh, we started uh, our second sort of life in a nice static caravan, basically, down in the corner of a beautiful large field that was uh, about three, four hundred meters across, and it's dipped, and it's got bogs in it, and trees, and the mound, which is uh, a man-made structure, huge earthwork mound with uh, a big sundial on top, huge sundial, absolutely ancient, uh, not really sure why it's there. My mum believes there's a, a Viking longboat buried beneath it, and I'd love to. I'd love to find that out one day. And uh, we we ended up setting up our caravan down there with uh, a static caravan with a big awning. And uh, yeah, the awning was about twice the size of the caravan, so it had span across and gave us a, a large outside sort of decked area that we used as a. It was a sort of kitchen um, uh, washing up sort of out, outsidey things, really. It was completely covered and completely dry and had a couple of couches in there and a, another fireplace and storage for things, really. And a beautiful uh, stone path that went out through uh, my dad's beautiful garden that he created with some amazing bamboo plants and flowers. And It, 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 it was like a garden centre, basically. We lived in a garden centre that was fucking plants everywhere basically we lived with plants everywhere and uh, yeah so it's like a bit of a jungle but it it was it was awesome and throughout this time I had a huge nice fire pit outside and my dad built and ended up building real real nice outside bath where it was linked up to the the tarp on the roof so uh, during the week when it had rained uh, the bath would fill up it'd gather all the water and it would get filtered through an old bed sheet into a bath that was sat on these uh, metal metal girders, basically, and it had uh, a fold down wooden steps on either side, and a big uh, like wicker uh, box, basically, it was in, so it had privacy, and and uh, a, an absolute stunning view of the dragon out, out, out the side of the bath, and uh, yeah, so once a week on a Sunday, usually, we'd get a. It was actually the uh, side panel of where we cut the sliding door window out of our first LDV van, uh, which was an ex-gas van. It had lights on the roof, and it was uh, light blue, the Sherpa. Sherpa Blue. Sherpa Blue LDV Pilot. Beautiful vehicle. And uh, it was the side. It was the the window of the... Yeah, the window of the uh, the van that, that we cut out, the bit of metal that we used to... Uh, we We used it to... Put build a fire on and, and the, the fire would slide underneath the bath uh, a big enamel cast iron bath that would heat up and uh, I, yeah it was just looking back to it from uh, living in a house for what, how many years now let's work this out seven, eight years I've lived in a house now eight years, I think, well, maybe nine years, bloody hell, I don't know, so, that was deep thunder, yeah, so I've still lived in a caravan longer than I've ever lived in a house, and I'll dread the day when my uh, house days overtake my uh, caravan days, but if, uh, if I have anything to do with it, I'll be back in a caravan before my house days um, overlap. that's the way I see my life going anyway that's what I I want Um, yeah so an amazing bathtub and then once we'd all finished the bath there was five of us in the family towards the end so we'd all have a bath in in the same bath and then not at the same time but uh, keep heating it up and whatever and then get your baths and then uh, we'd let the plug out the bath and then that was instantly uh, the kids time to play which was mine Isabel's Aaron's time to go and fucking play water games out the bath, so it'd be like a waterfall out the bath for ages, pull the plug, watch it all drain down, you get to play with it through the mud, and then it'd go into the veg garden and feed all of our food that was uh, growing in the garden, basically, Um, all the nutrients and whatever would just go straight into the soil and be grown into radishes, carrots, potatoes, you name it, basically, anything that uh, could grow, we, we tried and we had growing, so... It was a real real nice sort of uh, system, the, the way that we collected the water that was used for a bath and to feed our uh, food, basically. And, uh, yeah, and this was coupled up with uh, solar panels towards the end which charged our car batteries. And the car batteries would power three strip lights in the caravan, um, a sound system and a DVD player on occasion. So, yeah. It felt like uh, felt like I had enough. Uh, we had enough things there. And growing up with uh, that amount of electrics, uh, I don't need anything else. That's 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 the basis. Like uh, I can live with that um, any day of the week. Yeah. So I'm quite happy to go back to the self-sufficient lifestyle, and and it just makes sense. It fits the narrative of the planet. Like people seem to be doing it. Uh, not the wrong way, but uh, everybody's different my way is uh, is different to other people's I suppose and I wouldn't change it for the world the way I was brought up was i see it as uh, like an advantage over other people in i don't I don't mean I'm better than other people in any other way, but um I see my view on life uh, very very open and very broad compared to a lot of people. I'm not closed off to things um I don't know, I was brought into the world how the world should be. Um, Not this uh, societal thing that uh, needs a lot of stress and worry and uh, panic. And I don't know, a lot of sadness in the day-to-day life when you don't need that. Like, you can escape that if you really want. And, uh, yeah, and I plan to. I plan to escape escape the sadness, basically, the, the misery, the dread. I want to be happy. I want to do what's good for the planet and what's good for everyone else and what's good for myself. Actually, it's mesmerising being around thunder these last couple of days. The storms have been unreal. And today it's been 30 degree heat all day, 32. And uh, yeah, and then after work, the storms have just hit. So currently I'm on the top of Ubarrow, which I've said, um, looking out, I can see the Hode in Ulverston, I can see the sea, I can see the estuary, I can see my uh, old home where I used to live, Crook Farm, from above, it's absolutely beautiful, looking down on the house and the field and beautiful trees into a valley that's, I can see hundreds of miles here and in the distance there are huge mountains just towering over me and then to the left there's just a whole, huge wall of trees which is ewe that just licks up into the sky and then the valley all the trees just flow down the hillside into the valley and spread out all the way across right down to the beautiful meandering river that leads fills Russland with all the wood all the water it could ever need for the forests and, and animals and everything um which is tidal all the way up to pretty much as far as i can see and then uh, then it becomes uh, a whitewater river that runs past my current house in Satterth which is only about 12 miles away from uh, my old house, and it's on my way home. So, um, yeah, on my way home from work. Thought I'd stop off uh, for some thunder watching and a nice little chat about Crook Farm. So, yeah, uh, after having the veg patch, which was awesome, because you could just have plants growing in the veg patch. Following that down, we had another caravan, which was, I think it was the my mum's first caravan she moved into when she moved to Crook Farm. I think it was the oldest one that she had, and that was used for when uh, 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 my grandma, uh, Barbara, used to come and stay. Uh, she used to come and stay and sleep in that caravan, and then uh, Nana Rose as well, my dad's mum, when she would stay in that house. That house, sorry, that caravan. A uh, nice little green, fairly small, really old style caravan, but it was absolutely beautiful. And my mum has some great memories and pictures of uh, horses like poking her, their heads through the uh, door of the caravan uh, when she's making her dinner and whatever. It's absolutely beautiful. Her dream uh, as a young child was to, I don't know, live in the same field with a horse really in a caravan and have just share the same bit of land. And, she got there she did it It, 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 yeah it's like one of them things that unfortunately it seems to have been completed like it seems for me at the start of my life I had the dream life and it it changed since then and I've now got to work back to what I had what I was born into it's a strange way of looking at it but um I really want that life back and it's beautiful and yeah moving on down the hill and and this hill had run down into the woodland and as you got into the woodland there'd be wood sheds on the left and the right there'd be firewood everywhere and then there'd be more storage sheds lots of tarp, lots of lean-tos there was Smokey's Stable which was my mum's horse she had uh, for fucking years basically she she got it when she was like uh, I think she was 12 or 13 she got it when she was pretty young um, maybe in 16 I don't know uh, something like that very young anyway and she kept it till um she was i think she was 35 uh uh 45 possibly she had it for 40 years anyway this bloody horse and he he was beautiful he was the best horse ever smokey and he had his own stable uh so so after smokey passed away we still had his stable and we used it for storing things and and alongside that was uh there was another fire pit down there, and then there was my uh, my dad's workshop, um, which was awesome. He he he's made so many cool things out of that spot. He had there. Uh, we used to go down as kids and just paint on bits of board. Like we'd just get boards out and do some painting, and yeah, right. it Almost backs onto the woods, so it's all, always shady and always really nice feeling down there by the woods, and. Uh, we had an old oven that was out of a caravan, I think, an old oven caravan or something. And we used it with a... Built a fire underneath it and, and built it into this big clay sort of... We built a clay... Oh, my dad did anyway. He built this clay box for the this oven to go in, this old oven. pop this oven in this... Built like a clay mud uh, kiln, basically. A clay kiln to make a... Like a little pizza oven. Built himself a pizza oven out of clay and an old oven and and that was just stellar like absolutely excellent so many cool things loads of hundreds of benches were made through there and necklaces and oh, all sorts absolutely all sorts and yeah uh yeah and then as you you can slip back behind the woods into the into the trees there and we had a smart compost toilet that was uh awesome like we used a compost toilet uh, in the woods, and the best thing about it was uh, when the bluebells come out, and it would just oh, it didn't matter what was happening. Like the smell was beautiful. Like it just it's like constant air freshness. Uh, amazing, really, absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah, we. I suppose it comes with downsides. I mean, we had to empty the toilet and things. Uh, it was in a big blue barrel. I don't know if you want to know about that at all, but lifting that out was a cunt and. Like there's, there's there's a lot of hardship about it, and when you needed a new battery or you needed water, you had to fucking get the wheelbarrow out and make a fucking a nice trek across the field to go and find some. Uh, yeah, and in midwinter when it snow you'd have to get up at a, like early in the morning <laughs> and scrape the snow off the roof of the caravan and the the awning, otherwise it'd probably just fucking collapse. Battling with the elements was was by far the best part about living living out in the sticks and being, yeah, being a part of Mother Nature rather than trying to lock yourself away from it and, and hide from it. Just uh, embrace it and be a part of it. Uh, let it, I don't know, let it just, let it do what it wants. You, uh, you just go, go with the flow. And, yeah. So, yeah, we had this uh, amazing setup anyway after we moved in the shed, and the shed was just as amazing, just as amazing. And and the people that lived in the field made it an amazing place as well. James, who was a who was a very good mate, he was like 27, 26 when he moved in, and he was just uh, a lad that moved in on a caravan on his own. He did like, he was a self contracting labourer, builder. And he used to drive motorbikes around and he was my first introduction to going on the backs of motorbikes. And yeah, my first ever proper cool, like, mate at home. And we just used to hang around and do loads of cool shit in the field. And yeah, awesome. And yeah, like nutmeg, like I say, we had a guy right at the very entrance. We had a car park where we used to park. So you go across a cattle grid at the end of this uh, dead end track, uh, about a mile, a couple of miles long from Bowles, the village. And it would run through the woods, pop out the other side like I said, into these beautiful fields with an amazing view of the dragon. And uh, just there, right near where you pack your cars as you enter the field, like uh, Tony was a guy from Bolton who was also like a bricklayer labourer. And he was, he was he was fairly old. He was probably in his fort- late 40s, 50s and, and he, he was a, a raging alcoholic but just enjoyed his life to the maximum. And he'd get He'd come up every weekend, religiously, he'd be there. He'd work during the week in Bolton, and he'd be there every weekend in his Suzuki Vitara, and he'd sometimes bring his... Uh, he had dogs with him, and, and he'd just... He'd basically get his chimney out, and he'd have a nice deck in. He'd get his chimney he'd light it, he'd get as much meat as you can find, stick it on the chimney, just toast fuck out this meat, and, and just... Crack some beers Get some uh, Bob Dylan on Bob Dylan would be playing Fucking full blast On this TV In the back And uh, And he'd just be Cooking away Enjoying Singing along Just the life He had the life uh, And I used to Basically spend a lot of time With him Just hanging around Eating the meat That he cooked And he'd just He'd not eat it He'd just cook it For the sake of cooking it He'd love just cooking meat And uh, Yeah He had a son as well Who was an opera singer Which was Interesting yeah so I don't know the introduction to my life has been fairly abnormal, but uh wouldn't change it for the world it's been It's been amazing and yeah, just just witnessing things that other people haven't like it's, it's like when you go on a camping trip as a family uh people will relate to it as you if you go on a camping trip somewhere and uh And you just get there and you just love it like it's just amazing everything about it the weather's nice the location's perfect like just having a little hideout as a tent like that's your base that's your your den that's that's where you have to go back to that's where you get dry and you get warm and that's where you get your food having that little base camp there's nothing more beautiful than just going out for a beautiful walk up in the hills and just coming back to your little base camp wherever it may be, your family holiday or whatever, your tenting experience. But it was like that for me every single day of my life. And because I was born into that, when I go camping, it feels like I'm going home. (laughs) When I'm in a house, it feels like... I'm in this strange building that was built for humans and everyone seems to live in one, but I still don't really understand why. I mean, they are very, very easy. Very easy, like well too easy. Um... I understand that. And, and nobody else really on this planet does like, cause everybody's born into a house, that's your baseline. That's what you've, you go from. So uh, you compare your life, you contrast your life to what life's like where you are, where you're from in your house, doing what you do. And I don't know, a big thing was walls. Like when we first moved into a house, uh, trying to just get across the fact that each of my family members was divided apart from me. With these walls and if i wanted to turn around and say something i couldn't it was a very boxy sort of house we moved into it's just wrong like it just that's just on a very basic level and the second level was the amount of power in the house like i didn't understand that like power has to like the plug sockets the amount just the sheer quantity like four plug sockets in a small square room and then instantly by looking at that knowing the way that we used to run leisure batteries and the wires had just run from the leisure battery box up through the roof of the caravan and just pop into the light switch and then one would pop into uh, the, the sound system and one would pop into the other light and, and and that was about it and like so when I walked in and I seen the light switch and I seen all the plug sockets I thought where's all the cables where, where are all the wires are they inside the wall This these walls just must be full of electricity and just knowing that the walls are full of electricity and i don't know we're very electrical beings like you can pick up on electrical frequencies and feelings and fields constantly so i don't know it just felt a bit forced i didn't enjoy it and i still don't it's really easy it's really simple it's a it's a practical life seriously practical like when you get home you don't have to do anything to keep you House alive you have to do cooking and cleaning about it, really, like washing, tidying, but when you need to live, you need water, you need to get water, you need to plant your food, you need to grow your food, you need to work out when your food 's going to be ready you need to you 've got you 've got like right it 's not been sunny today, we might not have enough power to watch that film that we wanted to watch tonight in that case we 'll have to go for a trek go get put this battery on charge and I don't know your day to day life becomes life rather than uh, a simple den that you go and hide in and watch telly and then you have to come out and deal with all these life situation problems and then you get stressed and you hide away in this little house and I don't know if your life is everything you're doing and just surviving like animals animals lives are to survive like they they wake up in the morning and think I need food i need to not get eaten by anything else i need to see what the weather's like and make sure i can go and find the food that i need it's just a different mindset and i've been brought up with that and i fucking love it fucking love it like just knowing that you don't need all these extra things like the soap like the basics are just there like use them <laughs> more people should in my eyes but i'm not telling people what to do and i don't think everyone should do it people can't deal with it there's people that have been are too too well too immune to the to the lifestyle of living in the house and this thunder's getting real close now. Sun's still out, thunder's still out, but it's absolutely beautiful. So anyway, I've got to smoke the rest of this giant. It's taken for a while. Hmm, that's some real nice tasty green. But uh Yeah, I don't know. It's uh very easy to live in a house and I much prefer camping or living in a caravan for sure. I mean yeah so living every day in a caravan and and having that lifestyle, just ha- had freedom. I had freedom every day. And, and Yeah, that's one of the best best bits about it, is just being completely free. I used to wake up really early in the morning, like 6 o'clock, when I was I know, pretty young. But the old uh, traditional teenage years, where you get lazy sleep till fucking lunchtime like my brother and sister are currently doing. Um, they live in a house now for the last eight years so they're getting more immune to the house life and they're like uh, morbid teenagers sometimes that just sleep all the way through the day and I, I just can't. i do that if I've stayed up all fucking night but other than that even then I've got to get up and use the day. And especially during my teenage years where that would have been the case I ended up having a mindset i used to ride my bike quite often in the field and i used to do loads of shit i used to spend all the time in the field and hill jumping just natural thing just doing shit that i wanted to do and building swings and having dens and oh, just everything was amazing and i used to wake up really early in the morning and get out into the field and the first light when the sun would rise was, was always the best, and, and I'd always get asked by my parents, like, shame is getting back to bed, like, you can't be up at this hour in the morning, I'm like, you've got to get up at this hour in the morning, I can't waste any of the day, That it's light, I can't waste it, it's, I've got to use it all, oh, there's so much to do, there's so much fun to have, like, that was my life, and it's not like that anymore, because, I don't know, being confined to such a, you get in such a routine, living in a house, uh, routine becomes so common, and it, it, sort of fucks you down. A lot of people say it's what they need to survive. I do apologise for that. I just dropped my phone on a massive rock. And it rolled down the hill a bit, so yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen again. Uh, I do apologise for the wind noise. There's probably quite a bit of wind noise. And uh, Yeah, if there is, then uh, I might have to re-record this, because yeah, we're in the middle of a storm. I didn't mention already. <laughs> Which is pretty active, and it's... Uh, yeah, I shouldn't be on the top of a hill, but it's uh, a really nice place to be. I've got an absolutely stunning view in front of me, and I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't wish for anything else I could possibly wish, for, Um going back to that home, my proper home. And, uh, yeah... So, I'll go through the inside of the caravan. Uh, used to come down the field and right in the corner of the field was uh, our caravans and a bit a bit of uh, exterior. You couldn't tell it was a caravan. Uh, all you saw was the front glass window. Uh, the rest of it was covered by green tarp. The side of the caravan was painted dark green. The tarp was dark green and it had a hurdle fence that run round it. So it was pretty much invisible. And uh, to the left of it... A front garden that had a little shed for me to play in. Like a real nice shed for me to play in. It was full of real nice benches that my dad made, and lots of bamboo and stuff. Uh, and an old cart that uh, our donkey used to pull, uh, horse and cart. That had plants all, it was like a big plant a table outside the front window. And we used to grow uh, sunflowers in there that used to get really fucking tall, like massive sunflowers, huge. We used to stand next to them and take our pictures before we started school. Uh, I don't know. And uh, yeah, on top of the solar panel, on top of the uh, on top of the little shed, uh, my dad built this uh, big turntable and uh, a hoist unit for a solar panel. It was on a turntable, so it could follow the sun round, and it, it didn't turn itself. We had to manually turn it. But uh, if you remember to follow the sun round, you can get a hell of a lot of power from it, rather than just having them, uh, say, flat on the roof. Or yeah, so that was probably the best part about it: having a solar panel on a turntable that, that we just got our power from, and that's how it worked. And that that worked for us, and that was amazing. And uh, yeah, and, and it's illegal. That's the worst thing. Uh, Like governments, uh, councils don't want people doing that. You can buy your own land, and you can't fucking live on it all year round. Why? It just—it absolutely blows my mind that that a piece of a piece of land that you own, uh, you can only stay on for a certain amount of days a year, due down to other people. Like uh, I don't know. A lot of people have raised the argument that if it was if you're allowed to live on any bit of land you own, then everyone would live on their own land, but isn't that what it's meant to be? Isn't that how life's meant to go? Yeah, people won't be making money, but what the fuck is money even all about? Oh, fucking understand it anyway. Yeah. So owning a piece of land and you, you've got to have a sort of a very private piece of land to get away with anything like that, and, and Crook Farm was the place to do it. And being a campsite, you, she sort of wingled away way around it and had multiple living people there living year, all year round. And it was... It, yeah, it was a community that was built solely from pure just generosity and niceness. And, yeah. Oh, the story of when my mum arrived at the... Crook Farm and went down and knocked on the door of the landlady Wendy Armistead and said I don't suppose uh, I could possibly like uh, uh, move here and l- live on the site and she was just like, uh, well, what do you need, like, what what do you want uh, we don't have showers, we don't have running water, we don't have this, we don't have that and mum was like, that's fine, that's fine I, I don't need any of this, I don't need any of that we don't have uh, clean showers or anything like, no, no, that's fine, we'll make do we'll we'll get what we need but, um, yeah, I've got a uh, I've got a dog. Uh, do you mind if I, I bring my dog? Bring your dog. Bring your dog. That's fine. Bring your dog. Everything's welcome. Um, I've also uh, got a, a horse. Bring your horse and your horse. Get your horse down here. Everything's welcome. Beautiful. Just, uh, just yeah, get yourself... No, like, nothing, really. Just basically bring a caravan, move on. And, yeah, that's how life... Why, why are people like that? So... Just from the start, it's all like a, a chain of events that strung together so perfectly well that led up to such a beautiful um, time of my life. And I think there was a long, there was many, many years when it was it was uh, undecided whether we'd be able to stay there for like the future or not. But uh, I think my mum got it sort of fizzled away. We were there a long time. My parents lived there for long, many, many years. So. Well, most of their lives they lived there, so so far anyway. Yeah, uh, most of their lives, and this was, ah, uh, this yeah. So my mum, she does uh, a bit of yoga teaching. She did that uh, around then, but mainly, what I was saying before is, when you live like that, you've got to survive. You've got to keep You've got to keep your your everything afloat. That there's jobs that need to be doing constantly, like firewood, and uh, you've got to keep yourself warm. You've got to keep yourself. Uh, you've got to get gas for your, for your cooker, and and uh, it just goes on and on and on. Like it, it's really, really amazing. Just to, I don't know, fend for yourself. That's how I see it. I self-sufficiency is just so correct and it's got to be the right direction. And if if, if everyone's like that, look at how many problems that had just disappear. Like, so many problems would just fizzle away if more people became self-sufficient. And, and many people had uh, uh, hate it and, and not benefit from it and lose out majorly on a lot of money and a lot of business and so on and so forth. But... um. Yeah, I think it should just be more commonly allowed to be self-sufficient. It should be a choice. It should be a, a straight, clear-cut choice. If you, that's what you want to do, you you can do it any way you want. And and if you own the property, then and and or the landowner says, yeah, that's fine. Then that's fine. You don't have to go around these bushes of saying like oh I've got to have wheels on my premises and I've got to move it every 35 days just to make it legal like why and supposedly I've heard recently that if you read into law itself and law is actually just a bundle of words joined together to make something uh, uh, like that they can enforce so if you find I don't know loops in the words because language doesn't describe everything um language goes much beyond words, and and they don't mean a lot, really, on the grand scheme of things. Um, Like, in other languages, like Chinese and things, they have one symbol that uh, does multiple, uh, like, uh, sounds, syllables, which means they can fit so much more into one sentence, Uh, so, so much more description than we can in our language. And that just proves that language isn't really anything to run off <laughs> it's just a, a guide to so whatever um and off on, on off on a tangent about language and i forgot what i was uh, actually going to say but uh yeah back to the caravan um the uh the <laughs> the inside of the caravan <clears throat> yeah the, the inside of the caravan was, was set up it was like open plan it had one wall which was uh, uh, which designated like the rear bedroom which was a very very small back bedroom that me and my sister uh, uh, we habitated the back bedroom and oh, where I'm sat now actually uh, the, uh, the hode that I'm looking at in Overston uh, was something that my dad painted on the wall of the bedroom he painted that like, this really really beautiful landscape p- uh picture on the wall uh filled the whole entire back wall of the caravan so it felt like it was a huge window basically and uh it was of the hill with the hood on it that i 'm currently looking at from where I can see uh the farm anyway so that's uh that 's quite special uh yeah and basically the room was big enough for two beds and it had my bed and my sister's bed and my dad built awesome shelves everywhere like shelves that would just just keep all of our shit on because there was no real floor space you had stuff under your bed or you had stuff on your shelves and, and I was big into my guitars and things so I had a lot of guitars hung on the wall I had my hamster cage on a shelf in the corner I had a wee hamster uh, Humphrey the hamster and uh we had many cats cloud uh, we had tear uh, no tear was the the gra- the grandma to all the the family of cats that we owned uh, and that was nutmeg's cat who lived next door to us in a cluster of yurts uh, she's a, a dreadlocked wizard who runs a steam engine for a bobbin mill, which is pretty incredible and uh Yeah, anyway, so, there wasn't a lot of uh, floor space in the the bedrooms, and in the main caravan area, it was, uh, it was just, everything was like really low, low plan, so we had a big fireplace made of a gas bottle, and uh, yeah, the gas bottle fireplace just gave off fucking plenty of heat, absolutely plenty of heat, and, uh, yeah, a lot of the times the caravan would be well too hot, if anything, and I had a fire guard running around it that I just remember so well, like a metal fire guard that I remember playing with so much as a child, and, uh, yeah, it had a little glass window on it, and I remember we used to clean the glass window every... Uh, probably every like three or four months and when you cleaned it you could see all the flames i used to sit there and love it watch the flames for ages and uh we had uh, like a kitchen unit that was built by my dad so he builds in like a really rustic wood uh sort of style and it's absolutely beautiful like the natural curves in the tree all uh emigrate across to, to the work surface and the the cupboards and the, the handles for the doors, just absolutely everything had, the like, attention to detail and, and the rusticity, I don't know if that's the word, rusticness of everything, was, uh, was off the scale, was off the scale. And, uh, yeah, he used to make cards for, like, uh, uh, birthday cards and Christmas cards for people out of wood. He used to, like, carve wood into the Christmas cards carve the names in, carve a picture of trees on the front or carve pictures into it and then uh, connect the two pieces of wood together with a bit of uh, parachute cord. Uh, we, used to get, we got given a big parachute and we were using parachute cord for string for absolute years. We're still using it. We have necklaces with my dad's uh, faces that he, that he carves on them with a, like a letter on the back. Mine's got an S for Seamus. And uh, yeah, they're on parachute cord still. So Yeah, the parachute cord still rolls free and uh, yeah he tie these two bits of wood together with the parachute cord like a like a book and it, oh, he used to give them away as well like he never sold any he still never has he's he's still got loads of stuff that he could sell like he can make spoons and and jewelry and, and anything out of wood tables chairs yeah, anything. So he made, uh, yeah, the kitchen unit was just absolutely stunning in the caravan, anyway. And he would built it all himself. And then, uh, yeah, what else did we have? So uh, my mum and dad, my mum and dad's bed was uh, on pallets, so it was, like ground level. And that's like, oh, I just love the feeling of having a bed on that sort of like low level. It's just, it's real smart, real nice. And uh, and then the front window of the caravan was in front of their bed, uh, and, and the views out the window were like, I don't know. Looking growing up and realizing what I had there was just off the scale, and and now, now I just crave for it back. But uh, but one day I'll, I'll work my way back up and I, and I'll get there and I'll yeah and I'll start start trying to go down that path again. And uh, yeah, so uh, this is a good story about when uh, when I first we first towed the caravan into the field from moving into the shed, and it was just me, and my mum, my dad. I was uh, four years old, five years old, possibly. And uh, we were moving all of our stuff down, and we went down and checked check, check out the caravan was in the right spot and there was no step into the caravan, and it wasn't like, we'd just got the legs down, and yeah, it was a pretty old, old static caravan. We'd already just painted it green, and we opened the door, and I was like, yeah, yeah new home, and I was like the first one to get in. And then, I don't know, I was a child, and like, I got in, and then there was like, uh, about halfway up the walls of the caravan, running all the way around the inside, was like a, a little seal, like a sill. Like a, a ledge that was like I don't know some sort of wall joiner, and I was just like running my finger along it and following the exterior edge of the caravan uh, for some weird reason. Being a child, and as I was wandering around the caravan, next thing I'm like, "Whoa, the floor's well squidgy here!" Douche, bang, sh- fall straight through the floor of the caravan and fall t- to the ground, basically all the way through. And I was I was upset, I was crying, I was oh in hysterics. It was it was amazing. I'd just fallen through the floor of our brand new home basically. So that was the the mission to fix the floor and then the for, floor was reinforced with I think probably maybe uh, just big thick bits of wood and I think we put a bit of stone like a big a bit of slate down for the fireplace because that was like the reinforced bit was where the fireplace was gonna sit and uh, yeah it was just a a beautiful entrance and yeah and then some of the campers though that used to come into the field like we had a few uh a few wrongans put it that way anyway that decided that they should move there and they brought caravans down this couple from don't even know where they're from they barely said anything to us but they were big into arguing they'd be arguing a lot of evenings and there was uh, probably a lot of heavy drug use going on. I think there were uh, crack addicts. Uh, um, or possibly heroin, even. Um, serious, serious drug addictions, anyway. and they, uh, But from being a child, I didn't know that. I just seen them as problem people. And they had this, uh, this car. And I remember waking up one morning and my dad coming over and going, they've fucking driven that car through the wall of our field. And they fucking, yeah, they just drove the car straight through the wall. And just like basically wrote it off for some reason, uh, just on an on an evening of being wayward, and uh, yeah, the police were called to their spot a few times, and yeah, they ended up getting evicted and left all their shit, uh, all of their possessions, or all, all the caravans, the car was left. And we just pillaged and fucked around with it all. Me, me and we used to play in their caravan. Use it as a bit of a den. I remember when I was up there, after they'd, like, been kicked out, not knowing what was what anything was, really, being a young child and learning. There was knives around. There was very dangerous things around. But I was playing with it in a fairly safe way. So I was, like, digging around in the soil with this knife. And then uh, Isabel finds a lighter. And she's just like, oh, I found a lighter. I think it was Isabel anyway. Or it even, could be just be me that found the lighter. And I was just, like, stabbing this lighter with this knife. <laughs> and... Uh, boom, next thing, the lighter blows up, and, oh, fucking hell, I remember shitting myself and running home, being extremely scared, and just not knowing, just, that was, that was learning that gas explodes, when it, and just being fascinated with everything from being a young child and being exposed to all this cool shit, but, uh, or I think it's cool shit, anyway. Uh, there was a, there was a guy, there was a guy that came, uh, brought his own caravan, and and he, had, he played the guitar and he had a sound system, loved his music wasn 't a very nice guy he was a very wrong looking guy we didn't yeah we didn 't really see eye to eye. I suppose nobody saw eye to eye with him he 'd be a bit angry and'd my dad used to go over and tell him to turn his music down on an evening because family's there living and trying to sleep, and he 'd kick off he 'd be real angry he 'd be like Ruh, why the fuck do you want me to turn my music down i 've come here to listen to my fucking music real loud." And all this, and he'd kick off. And Mark, uh, uh, the landlady's son, he was a big built hunter, and he was a waller by trade. But he did a lot of hunting and game shooting. And he was a big, big bloke, well built, scary cunt. Real nice, real nice. He took me to school a few times, but real nice guy. Uh, actually, he's one of my best mates. Dad's Dan Armstead. is his dad, so uh, I know him fairly well. And and. Basically we had to use him as a last resort because my dad would go over and threaten him, basically, to tell him to turn his music down. And, and this guy was basically saying, like, fucking... It's like, I'll come over there and fuck you up if you come fucking bothering me again. It got real bad. And rather than calling the police, we just went and told Mark. And Mark had sought him out, basically. Mark had just fucking scared the living shit out of him until told him, uh, he would leave people alone. And uh, it wasn't the first time he did it, anyway. So we just basically went nice to Mark and went, "Can you uh, can you go and help get this guy to fucking calm down and sort his shit out?" And uh, yeah, basically he went over and he was, uh, so he said to him, he's like, "I think he was just like started kicking off," and the guy was like, "Right, I, I'm, 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 I've had enough. I'm fucking taking on whoever the fucks. I'm, a, I'm a black belt in karate, you know. I'm gonna fuck you up." And uh, Mark comes over and goes. What? You're a black belt and cry? Come here then. I'll get your fucking black belt and tie you to the top of that fucking tree up there. Eventually, starts leathering and filling him full of these death threats and just fucking no, no, not laying hands on him at all. Just, just fucking telling him what's right and what's wrong, giving a run for his money with words. And uh, yeah, we woke up the next morning. He'd taken all his shit in his caravan. He'd, he'd fucked off. And uh, yeah, and it wasn't that long after. Probably about a month later we have uh, another field about a couple of hundred meters away up another track uh, the top field it's called absolutely beautiful hidden out of the way up near where the shed was basically and uh, there was a caravan in there and wendy she she didn't really know any better she, she she didn't really care about who what people were like she'd let people anyone live there if they had a bad past if they were heroin addicts doesn't matter let them live there let them have a a new start and anyway this guy ended up coming back to this spot and live in trying to live here again in a caravan and Mark found out <laughs> and he brought a dog with him this time though he had a dog he had this real, real scary rottweiler dog with him and I remember seeing him and yeah basically I think Mark went up with a shotgun or with some sort of weapon and just threatened him just was just like we've told you to stay away from here you've come back with a dog that's threatening people and uh That time, he left without all of his possessions. He left everything. He left uh, multiple amplifiers. He left a fucking massive CD collection that actually built some of my favourite artists and favourite music to this day. Um, Yeah, which is quite a sad encounter to get hold of someone's music collection. But, uh, yeah, Newton Faulkner being one of the main ones. A lot of Green Day was in there. I remember listening to Green Day. Getting into Green Day. There was all sorts. Arctic Monkeys. Uh, But, yeah, Newton Faulkner was the main one, which was a a dreadlock folk singer who did some beautiful songs, and I know them all word for word, and we used to listen to them. And they remind me of the farm. They remind me of driving up and down the lane, uh, coming back from school or whatever, just listening to Newton Faulkner. Anyway. And, uh, yeah, this time he left all of his possessions, so we... We as a family, we got everything, we we just took everything, we took his caravan, we took his amplifiers, we took his music, we took his sound systems, he had a tent in his caravan, yeah, we just took it. Uh, it was left, it, no, it was left there for quite a while before we took it obviously, uh, and nobody came back for it, uh, yeah basically he was scared away I think, uh, he wasn't coming back for it And basically the caravan was full of dog hair and the first thing my dad did was rip everything out the inside rip the full interior out and then we got a dark green paint painted the outside green and built a beautiful interior out of extremely real nice plywood inside bought a pot belly wood burner and set it up with a real nice pot belly wood burner uh, painted the inside purple because it was my favorite color put a bed in there and it was my caravan and, uh it's pretty sad. Yeah, basically, basically, I had my own caravan. And that's all I fucking want right now in my life, is my own fucking caravan with my own piece of land and my own just summit. And I had it, man. I had it. I had my own fucking caravan. It was f- absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I love it. Like, uh memories hey they're just memories that's why i'm trying to get them recorded so like uh, if i have a fucking knock to the head or i smoke myself fucking clueless and i can't remember what my life was like i can go back and have a listen to what my caravan days were like but yeah if i don't say they're fucking amazing they were fucking amazing they were just yeah best times of my life and i'll never forget them Uh, living it with the best people in my life and i'll never forget the people uh, already, there's, it's been eight years since I've had contact with Tony, uh, and a fair few other people. Wendy, I think, I think she passed away recently. She's uh, she went mentally ill after after the farm got taken away from her. That was her home for her entire life. Like that fucks you up when that gets taken away, and uh, it fucked our family up for many years. Like my mum's only just coming to terms with what a blue, beautiful place we live in now like she was reluctant to turn on lights for the first fucking six months of living there she'd quite happily want to go and like uh, we'd spend most of the time outside we had a very very small garden and, we, and yeah in the house that we moved into so currently we've made our garden massive and we've extended it out into the woodland behind and i've got a huge shed up there that's uh like a, like exactly like the farm was like a big lean-to shed built with the same tarp it's my recreation of what it was like to live at the farm deep in the woods and I spend most of my time up there with a the fireplace and a chimney like Tony did and just recreating and, and that's how I want to live so that's what I'm doing and uh, yeah and on nice weather in nice days I get my sound system and I take it up out the back of my house into the woods into my den into my shelter and I and I fucking imagine living there and I fucking love it so yeah I crave for it again yeah the uh just everything about it every person that was involved in how we live us living there and the lifestyle that we had get uh Entered us into this realm of festivals, music, people. Uh, weed was a was a thing from a very, very young age for me. I didn't smoke weed at a young age, but I was around it and I knew about it. Thunder is back thick and strong, by the way, people. Seriously strong. I really hope the wind hasn't fucked up this, uh, this podcast, because I've been chatting for a while and I'm still looking at this beautiful view on the top of a hill in a major thunderstorm <laughs> uh, the thunderstorm's off to the left and the rain keeps coming in and going out and it's not actually touching me it's over in the distance, I can watch it and it's beautiful the sun is cu- poking through the haze and it's absolutely w- wonderful anyway yeah, nice I don't even know what day we're on here what day are we on? Wednesday the 12th of August what a day 2020, the year of strange occurrences. Yeah, started out with a bang this year. You know, New Year, I can't stop thinking about it. Like, any time people say, like, oh, what a weird 2020 we're having, I just think of New Year. And that New Year's Eve, I was in... uh, What was the... I can't even remember the fucking name of the spot uh It was in Kendall we we're in a bar in Kendall, and it was an upstairs party that I got asked to work at uh by Sam Ansel a really he 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 uh works in a co-op which uh, is a business run without a boss basically just all at a mutual agreement and he lives in the woods uh currently I think he's building a timber frame house in the woods for himself uh in Silverdale and he runs a coppice coppice business. And then uh, makes hurdles off the side for himself, and just runs a beautiful lifestyle uh, that, I, that I love. And I've got uh, it introduced us to people like that anyway, and uh, live, li- yeah, living at the farm introduces us to people like that. And the evening of New Year was he, he uh, got in contact with me and said, "Would you like some work? Uh, we need someone helping set up sound systems," and I'm. Uh, do a bit of DJing myself and I, I, it's it's my one sole passion in life is mixing music uh, drum and bass and dub uh, reggae psych trance house you know I fucking love it music is my thing so getting introduced to this at a young age and knowing this I call them a family They're the Northern Roots family which are beautiful people and see them at every festival without fail dreadlock rasters and fucking piercings everywhere and just the traditional hippie festival going folk and I'm purely one of them and it's like the family the festy family and yeah getting uh, asked to work at this gig I was so buzzing it was like my dream to work in music Uh, so we got there we set up the sound system Uh, me and Jack we set up the amps and stuff and uh, straight away we were getting free beer we were setting up uh, all the posters and stuff and uh, the dub princess uh, Megami Hope Megami and she's like one of my favourite artists on the planet like her her vocals are just off off this planet They're, they're somewhere else Uh, and I got to see her live at Northern Roots Festival uh, once the most dreamy festival on the planet up in the Shap Hills secret location but beautiful down a track with no security in the middle of the mountains in a valley by a river with just sound systems and everybody there just wants to be there and it's just the most incredible environment you've ever experienced so this this New Year's Eve, anyway, I was uh, working, working putting all the stuff up, and then later on, well, well, no, when we got there, it was Papa Shanti, which is also my favourite DJ. Who's a, a, predominantly a, he's a producer. He produces uh, jungle music and and makes cool T-shirts and, and he's a junglist and fucking one of the greatest DJs on the planet in my in my eyes. part of the Northern Roots family and uh, yeah, seeing him, just working with him, setting up his decks and uh, setting up his signage and and working on the door with him and he was playing that night, he was hosting and playing, so was Sam Ansell He was DJing and and so was Meg Me Hope, she was uh, Dub Princess she was playing there and selling loads of uh, uh, stuff that she'd made uh, phantom markets it was so that yeah she was selling uh, loads of real nice uh, art pieces she made she makes like cool little dolls and uh, yeah all sorts of amazing artwork beautiful artists uh, very very abstract but real real nice and uh yeah so and they were selling tinker hoodies i, I ended up buying a tinker hoodie the uh, festival sesh hoodie uh, cool psychedelic patterns stitched in by hand and the woman who sells them and makes them was there so I ended up buying one and everyone who's in the family uh, the festy family has, has these hoodies. My dad's had one the whole time I've known him the whole of his life. He's a festival goer. So, and yeah. So, I ended up buying myself one. Loved it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there was... Uh, they were selling like wooden wooden uh, mushrooms and things and like loads of wooden ornaments and uh, yeah we are working on the door later on <coughs> pardon me uh, yeah we are working on the door later on and uh, some guy comes back down the stairs after I think it was a fiver entry we were charging people about fiver on the door and they were like, most people are happily paying, some would be like, no, I don't wanna pay. Like, it's for a good cause. And uh yeah. This guy come downstairs and was like, I I, I can't I can't believe what I've seen up there. You're you're selling book plugs. And we all just absolute burst out laughing. There was hundreds of people out the back smoking and uh, Dub Princess was out there Papa Shanti was out there All the DJs were out there I was out there Working on the door with Jack And we were just What Did you just say And and he He had a se- Serious issue With like The possibility That we were selling Sex toys And he was like This is just This wasn't what I was expecting Can I get my money back And we were like No Like It's a party mate Like it's free. Everyone wants to be free, they're like, they're not even butt plugged. Believe what you want. Like they're just ornaments. Like if you think that's what they are, then believe it. But fucking so strange. So closed-minded people. Like yeah. Anyway, the root of this story was any time in 2020, someone says how crazy a year it is. I just remember listening to the, the Papa Shanty on the decks, mixing some amazing tunes, just being in the moment. loving life, dancing like fuck, loads of people there ticking over to midnight on New Year's Eve Uh, Dub Princess was on the mic uh, singing her heart out fucking, yeah, doing the tick over and I remember it just going fucking 2020 and I just looked at the roof and I was dancing I was staring at the roof like wow, like I don't know, it just felt deep and it was a it was a moment that I can't not forget like it's stuck in my memory and anytime people mention anything about 2020 I just picture that moment like oh shit holy shit holy shit like I didn't even know what the fuck I was in for then but fuck me I knew the summit fucking coming summit in the pipeline and I felt it that night like fucking hell that was the weirdest tick over on new year I've ever had in my life and it spoke to me it spoke to me deeply and I'm only just realising what it was saying. <laughs> but yeah, being introduced to that whole family lifestyle of festivals and people and with that you get uh you're introduced to a lot of people who like uh, farming marijuana and fucking loving just smoking weed and just you get the right start in life like the right things are at the right thing. I'm not really a big fan of alcohol because I don't know, it just doesn't do anything for me. I've I've not been brought up around it that much. I mean I've been to a lot of parties and stuff, but uh yeah, it's mainly just other substances for me really. Um Yeah, and having there was there was also Tom Barron who I'd absolutely die to get on this podcast. He, he's so deep into his conspiracy theories and he's a charcoaler and stone carver that lives deep in the woods. Jack mentioned him the other day on the podcast. He he really wanted to chat to him on a podcast, so I really want to talk to him. And he can tell stories. He, he he does paragliding and he used to live near the farm in the woods doing the charcoal when we lived there. And he we visit him quite often and he lives in the woods still in a yurt... And I'm always quizzing him about how he's doing it. And and he keeps saying, like, look, when this all, like, I don't last forever, like, there's going to be woodlands left here that people need to charcoal. There's going to be yurts here that people need to live in. Like, it's got to carry on, like, and you're the person that wants to do it, so you can do it. And I've been given other opportunities. Uh, Simon, a guy that gave me a good start in the forestry, but sort of, he was really keen on getting me into forestry. And Woodlands bought me my first set of chainsaw boots during college, and yeah, he was—he uh, owns a woodland in Bath that's absolutely beautiful. It's got fields in it, it's got woodland in it, and uh, he's given me the opportunity to manage and work this woodland coppice in it at, currently to build a yurt uh, for myself to live in, and he's given me this opportunity to just give me a really nice start. In life, I think, um, and he's not got much family. And he said, before he dies, he wants to start uh, handing the bits of wood, selling them to me, basically for really cheap. So I become a woodland owner, and then once I become uh, a woodland owner, then he can pass on each plot of the woodland separately to me uh, over the years of his life. And uh, by the by the time. Uh, he comes to moving on then i should own all of his land without having to pay tax on it so uh it means that i would get like a beautiful woodland that all he wants he owns holiday cottages as well and he believes that the holiday cottages mean nothing but the woodland's gonna last forever and that needs management and and looking after and people there And I'm so keen on doing that, I don't get any money for it, but I fucking love every second I'm there. I was going to do this podcast from there tonight, and I spend so much time there, I I treat it as my second home. And he has cool little shelters, a river running through the property. Uh, It's far away from houses, it's just so remote, and deep, thick, ancient woodland, and it's awesome, awesome. So I'd hope to live there one day, to be fair and then yeah even on top of that there's i have neighbors that um their their parents-in-law own woodlands and and they're getting left woodlands that they want me to manage in the future uh, and make charcoal in especially and uh, charcoal firewood sell the profit and uh, and f- by selling the profit and doing charcoal in the woods it gives me somewhere to live so I can live on the woodland legally by uh, maintaining it, manage it and doing charcoal basically Uh, because I've got to be there uh, all the time so I've got all these opportunities and this is all arose from my lifestyle and basically if I won the lottery which it would be a miracle because I've never even entered the lottery (laughs) But if I was to suddenly come across a lot of money, I would solely use it on trying to get back the field that I used to live in as a child. And I would do anything for that back. And I'm looking at it now like like it's home still, like it really is home still. But, yeah, one day. Yeah, so I don't know. the. the I'm, what I'm saying is the people that... I've been around through festivals and through living in the woods uh, has now given me the opportunities to get back there and reconnect with my roots. Be who I want to be. And, uh, I don't know, yeah, the best... Not the best thing at all, but, like, uh, a few more things about... The the good things about the caravan were... Just... like, having a bike shed there to get a bike out and just freely ride in whatever direction you want. And I had toy tractors that I used to ride around on and pretend I was mowing. I used to try and catch swallows with car tyres. I used to play crash test dummies with myself and my mate Noah. Um, I used to live at the farm for a short period of time when I went to school with him in primary school. One of my best mates, I need to get in contact with him again, I've not spoke to him for quite a few years, and, uh, last time I seen him was in uh, Leeds, at, uh, at the beaver Works there, there was a, there was a real, real smart festival party on in there, loads of, like, different rooms and fire twirling going on outside, and, yeah, that was a city-based, um, festival, and it was one of the greatest things I've been to ever, like, I'm not a... F- a city person, by all means, but I've done a few city breaks, like Bristol. When I went and stayed in Bristol, in uh, my cousin—not uh, cousin—my um, great auntie's husband's flat. Uh, he, he, Donovan. It was beautiful. Uh, he had the. Uh, uh, it was right next to the docks, and it was just like a road, and then the docks and water and boats and shit. Uh, and it was an apartment. It was like a second-story apartment with a balcony, like a large balcony, like a, a r- an open roof terrace, basically. And the open roof terrace was where I spent most of my time. And not knowing that he smoked green was a wonder, because I ended up going down there, and there was no chance I couldn't have uh, held back not smoking a joint on that terrace. What people watching and looking at across the city, uh, it, it was just absolutely beautiful. And we stayed there for two nights we stayed there for one night on the way down to um way down south to a wedding uh, my uncle's wedding right down in the deep down bottom of the country and uh yeah we broke up the journey by staying in Bristol at this flat and and yeah it was I don't know, that flat and the terrace apartment, he he lived there all the time and he was like, yeah, it's quite nice, yeah, whatever. And I don't know, it felt like a, a beautiful holiday destination from living in the woods and being... Because all I... I've always lived in around campsites and where I live now is, is, is a, bit, a campsite right next to me at the farm. So I've always lived at destinations that people come on holiday to or go camping to. And I just feel so lucky to have led a life somewhere where people try and escape to, (laughs) it feels, uh, so, when I escape from here, I like, I like going to cities, I like seeing what, like, other people are doing, like, just the busyness, and I just, I sit there and think, fuck being one of these people, but also in awe and amazement at how they're just doing what they're doing, and just people watching, the way people walk past each other in the street is so, Abnormal to me and fascinating and strange, and just oh, like I would quite happily sit on that terrace at the click of a switch or the flick of your fingers and just see that view, as well as having I don't know one of the most beautiful views ever here out across the mountains. I can see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12, like, major peaks in the distance of the Lake District National Park. And it's absolutely stunning. Like, oh, I couldn't wish for a better view. The, the, yeah, the, just the amount... The amount that's here and then, but like, hundreds of, hundreds of fucking acres of woodland, hundreds, thousands of acres of woodland, like... I'd say... Uh, I'm actually going to say 95% of my view here is just tree cover into the distance and there's a few fields, there's a huge marsh bogland, which is uh, peat bog, that's, uh, well I think it's peat bog it's just big bog land triple S eyesight that's been left and uh, it's got a real real nice boardwalk that runs all the way through it and that's on my way home as well so I often walk along there and that's where Scouse Mark, which is... Oh, what a, what a name. Scouse Mark, dreadlock, white raster sort of guy. Uh, he used to ride up on his mountain bike to the farm like all the time. Uh, and he used the boardwalk to get there through the bog land. Uh, oh, yeah, there's a few other things about, about the farm that I should mention, really. And... Uh, yeah like so it was round about like once a week maybe we'd end up going to the nearest shop in Orverston and yeah every time we'd go to the shop uh, well not every time but uh, I think it was every month we used to walk down I'd say probably thousand metres maybe a bit more Maybe two fields, basically. Two fields from the farmhouse. Uh, so quite away from our caravan, uh, in the opposite direction, at the same level along the valley, but uh, in the opposite direction. And you'd walk through a couple of fields that were backing onto a woodland. And then you'd enter a really thin, narrow field that was, had woodlands on both sides. And right at the end of this field, there was like a bit like our caravan. There was, there was a static caravan in the corner. And it had loads of fences around it and a lot of outdoor, like, sheds and things going on. And in this caravan lived Marjorie, which was... (laughs) She was a beautiful, adorable old woman who... She appeared, throughout my whole life of growing up, she appeared to be over 100 years old, basically. (laughs) And she lived completely isolated from everyone else who lived at the farm. uh, Through two fields, no vehicle access whatsoever, like... We had no vehicle access to our our caravan, but we had uh, a vehicle access within, like, a 1,000 metres or something, like a a short five ten minute walk away anyway, Um, whereas hers was a a lot more distant and, yeah, a lot more far out, and it was crazy to see someone that that could live a life that far, that far out. And we used to go and visit her, and we used to go and take, I think, well, and we used to go and take some hash to her every now and again and she'd just she'd smoke hash basically and i think that was how she survived out uh, out there on her own most of the time and she was uh she had this like scottish accent she was definitely scottish uh, yeah and she had these huge saucer glasses that were like fucking so thick it was unreal like big, like they were big and curved and you couldn't, her eyes looked huge when she was wearing them like uh, bubbles on the trailer park boys very, very similar to them glasses Um, and uh, yeah, she was virgin on blind basically she had uh, a very strange setup in a caravan she had like hangings as you walk through the door that like stopped the flies but I remember them very vividly as a child and we used to go up she used to only have a radio in there and that was it and uh, she used to listen to the radio and sit there and eat polos and s- smoke uh, hash, I suppose and watch the birds and, and stuff and she'd just be she again, she'd just have the perfect life and looking back to i seen it, it was so strange at the time but no, looking back that that's how That if I come across that now I'd be like, shit, I'm so jealous <laughs> and back then I was like look at these people living like this not caring or knowing at all that I was doing exactly the same living identically in a similar sort of way but yeah there's a few funny stories with Marjorie is like uh, there was I remember she used to give us a packet of raisins every now and again and uh, I remember eating these raisins and she she was just like oh dearie pick up the raisin and eat it and I was like what I've not dropped the raisin and she was like get the raisin and eat it she bends down and tries to grab this fucking bit of rip ra- Suppose, supposedly a raisin off the floor and my mum jumps in and goes no Marjorie that's a dead wasp <laughs> so she was trying she, was, she thought this dead wasp was a raisin uh, fair play to her with them glasses on but uh, yeah and she used to talk about the birds she'd been watching and 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 that was about it and she'd have the radio on yeah, and then we'd leave her to it and not see her for about just over a month probably about 30 days <laughs> we'd see her again doing the exact same thing for the entirety of my 12 years living there anyway and and she'd lived there before my mum had even lived there so holy hell to know how long she'd been doing that for but um yeah Oh, during the time there there was a few people there was T.P. Lee T.P. Lee was a guy who brought teepees in the, and rented them out and used them in the field They're absolutely beautiful Four Winds TPs. shout out to Four Winds teepees and uh, he he lived on the property for a bit with his two daughters beautiful daughters Bella and Saffron uh, we used to we used to have a lot of fun playing with them uh, as kids like around the field and also uh, who else used to come off when we had kids that we used to play with Dougie Gillum and uh, Dougie's children Jess Gillum who's a very famous saxophone player, saxophone player now um plays for orchestras uh, in London for, um, always on the BBC anyway playing orchestra playing in like uh, forefront of orchestras absolutely amazing musical artist and uh yeah, them as a family are very, very, very musically talented. My dad was in a band with uh, Dougie, and uh, yeah, Dougie was the drummer of his band when he was a lot younger and moved up to the Lake District. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and just uh, I, could, I could talk about I could talk about it for for forever, basically. There's a, yeah, the mound was one of the best things I spoke about it briefly at the start but the mound was it's a, probably about a 100 metre long plateau of earth that is raised probably about 20 metres off ground level, off field level anyway and it's a, a big oval sort of shape, huge oval uh, yeah, sort of like a rectangle with curved edges and the sundial that was built on top was about four or five meters round and it stood about a meter tall off the ground a big uh, stone platform in a circle and it had two plinths built into it on the uh, on the base of this this platform two big slate squares one was rectangular and one was square and on these were mounted two sandstone blocks and the sandstone blocks, one was, uh, the square block was for sure carved, for sure carved, it was just so strange, and it was a square block that had like the edges uh, sort of tapered off an angle, so the edges were sort of tapered, but then had like a ridge in the middle of the taper that run around the edge of the square, Uh, like almost like a round and it was obviously worn it was cracked it was mossy and it was broken it was ancient this bit of sandstone but it had been carved it had definitely been carved and every edge had like an, a square indentation into it and then there was almost circles in these indentations but it was very mossy and very old and pretty battered so it's hard to work it out and we basically just used these as seats to see the view and the view from there was obviously you could just look out across the dragon which was i mentioned the dragon a few times i've sat on it currently The storm has surpassed, the mountains are becoming clearer, the sun is coming back out, um, which is nice, which is nice. But when I first arrived here, fuck me, the thunder was going mad. And what was I saying? Oh yeah, the mound. So on the second sandstone block was It was a rectangle, a large rectangle that was smooth on every side. There was no carvings or indentations on this one. Uh, I think it had one hole in it, like a a weird hole. Like a gatepost hole almost, but very strange. Uh, And this was there as well. And, yeah, and then... Basically... it was. It's still so fucking interesting, and I don't understand anything about it. And I said at the start it was a sundial because that's what the current owner of the property believes it is. Um But the the whole hill that it's built on is very strange, and if you could get archaeologists in and find out what what's under there without damaging it, it incredibly, it would be amazing because a Viking longboat is huge, huge possibility. It's about two thirds up the side of the valley uh, of the Rusland Valley uh, this property uh, that we lived at at the field and and just at the edge of the wall was a very very steep field hill into a bog basically a very very steep hill and it'd be about three four hundred metre hill so it was like we're halfway up the valley side and at the bottom was just bog land uh, and a river that a tidal river that run f- through it and the bog land had flood um, yeah I'll talk about the winters later on but uh, yeah the uh, the the mound basically is is just so strange, and and the level of the field is, you could imagine it was probably sea level at one time. Yes, definitely would have been sea level at one time. I could see the sea where where I'm sat, and the sea just that had cut in really nicely. the 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 cliffs of Ulverston would have been oh, cliffs not really cliffs, but the uh, the hills of Ulverston and the, and the sides there would have been old sea cliffs. And it would have run round, and where I lived would have been the sea, probably. So the theory of the sea being there in Viking times would have been very probable. And this was a heavily Norse-occupied area. There was a lot of Vikings here, a lot of Norse uh, Bronze Age artefacts still found and, and things. And yeah and the site that we lived at had very ancient history to it because at the bottom of the hill there was there was like an old road that went down all the way to the to the crook of the river which was the corner where it did a bend right by crook farm which was the name of the farm so it named after the crook in the river and <laughs> there was if you go down to the crook in the river and underneath the water there's loads of uh, stone blocks and there was once a bridge, a road bridge, and it's like uh, a cobble street that's laid out, just scattered along the floor, which was the old old road, basically. That was that was where the bridge was. And uh, there's a few stories about where the milkman uh, used to like drop the milk there or whatever. And there's another farm that looks identical. Uh, few miles further down the valley with a similar sort of access mile long road from Balth similar sort of outbuildings same sort of layout of house as well and i can see both of them and uh, the the next one's called Haybridge and Haybridge is also probably where there was a bridge in the river uh, probably used for carting hay i imagine uh, so there's Haybridge and Crook farm and they're both like farms that look from where i'm sat here identical through down the valley they look pretty much the same and uh, yeah we lived at the first one being Crook and so it's got a lot of history so like my mum's theory uh, of a Viking longboat being uh, uh, immersed under this very strange Viking longboat shaped hill uh, I don't discount it Uh, or there could be some sort of weird chamber with some sort of major king buried I just don't know it could just be a load of shit that the farmers had to pile up in the field. And then they thought, oh, we'll build a sundial on top of it. Could be absolutely anything. Anyway, it's fascinating. It's been there for hundreds and hundreds of years and nobody has any more insight to what it is. Uh, And I've been back a few times uh, and the guy that owns it now, the whole place has been revamped. The house has been sort of rebuilt a bit. It was fairly run down. The outbuildings have been turned into uh, part of the house. It's now a multi million pound property with extremely expensive views, and it's now just a singular posh house at the end of a private road uh but it was once a thriving community of beautiful people doing things to the planet that was natural and nice and and to the time that I lived there in the 12 years that I lived there I probably seen a hundred people live and move on and come and everyone was either using it as a stepping stone to get their lives back in order or loving it for a place to live out in the wild and have self-sufficient lives and yeah and live freely and openly in the middle of a beautiful countryside location uh, remote from anywhere and anyone and you could get away with it. you could play your music at, at any decibel you wanted you could scream at anyone you could do anything you could there, there was just no limitations and that's what i miss that's what i miss and it was it was a public campsite so in the hot and hot summer during the months uh, summer months and during camping season the field would be full of campers to the certain extent that some years I remember we couldn't even get to our van across the other side of the field without falling over about eight times on guy ropes. You'd actually have to walk in a zigzag to get anywhere. Uh, uh, the guy ropes off the tents were just so, like, uh, yeah. And me being a, a greedy little kid who loved hot chocolate and bacon, would wake up in the morning, smell the bacon, get out on my bike at six in the morning, and fucking go around that field and i go from one tent to the next asking for bacon, <laughs> and fucking Jesus, I got so fat, and, well, I probably didn't, I wasn't that fat, but just going round and scavenging food off campers, and, and getting to know people, chatting with folk, that, and they're like, what, you live here? Like, yeah, I live here, I've always lived here, I live here all year round, and like, everyone was amazed by that comment, and I used to just love going around campers and going, yeah, hello, I live here. What, what are you doing? <laughs> and, like, they'd just be like, oh, we're just camping. We've come from, well, the city, and then they explain, and then, be, and then they'd get really intrigued. And then I'd end up showing them our caravan and bringing them home, and they're like, oh, look at this. Bringing, like, new friends down to show our compost toilet, and so on and so forth, anyway. Yeah, and that's why we had the fences and stuff around our places, because... Like I say, we did get often wrongings. people that come in and want to nick your firewood and basically just give fucking show them who's boss or kick them off because, cause yeah, you, you, yeah, you live there all year round, it's your location. And there was probably, I'd say, between three and, like, ten people living there most of the time. That's quite a large gap. If I count, it was like one, two, three, four... There's probably about 15 people living there, probably the 12 years that I lived there. Um, Some people only on weekends, some people permanently all year round. And some people would just come and go as they please. Many people would. And uh, winter was an amazing, amazing time of the year. Absolutely amazing. Because the snow we used to get in that field was was just like nothing else. The freedom factor in in winter cold conditions in that sort of lifestyle was was beyond. And I remember there was a lot of shouting my dad used to say, like, I can't survive this lifestyle anymore. We need to fucking move out of this and get something fucking normal. Like, there was a few occasions when it all get too much, but, like, at the end of the day... It is. It was right, and we always just carried on and crapped on and got through it. And it was the deep winter months where you were getting out, and you were struggling to get firewood to your house. You were struggling to get food. We were struggling to get water. Water was like we we had to walk up to the pond where our water was filtered from, and get it directly from there because, uh, like often the water pipes would just freeze on the way down to the from the pond to the tap in the washroom it'd freeze so you'd have to just bypass it or go and block, unblock it and it was uh, yeah a good probably half an hour walk up to the pond and by the pond uh, I go there often still the the pond is, is a beautiful spot and I go back look in it and say I used to drink this water no fucking chlorine in here you cunts you can't poison this so fucking and I still drink purified water I cannot physically drink tap water it makes me ill the chlorine in it makes me fucking ill, like, it's just not right, all the water that we use has to be filtered and filtered and filtered before I drink it, or boiled and filtered, and, yeah, I drink tea mainly, because just drink tea and smoke weed and you'll be fine, so, yeah, so drinking, <laughs> drinking pond water all my life has uh, given me the immune system I need to cope with anything, being, yeah, and, and I think that's, built what I need to fend for myself for the rest of uh, yeah the rest of my time here and yeah the the, the winter time in <laughs> there yeah I'm pretty blazed actually so I keep forgetting what uh, train of thought I'm on so oh it's winter so when the snow had come down mid winter the snow would hit and we we actually have got a few recordings. We used to do some... Uh, we had an old, old, old video recorder, like, with the eyepiece and cassette tapes you put in the side. Um, and we had black-and-white TV at one stage, which I thought was uh, very, very high-tech and very, like, interesting. Um, but uh, if you got up or moved at all, the TV had... Uh, TV had shut off, it had, like, a wiring connection issue in it. And uh, you couldn't... You could only get four channels. I remember you used to get a Welsh channel. <laughs> BBC One, BBC Two and BBC Three. <laughs> that was that was your life. And we didn't even watch it. We just, like... <laughs> we just had it as a novelty item, I'm pretty sure. It was mainly used... Uh, oh, we didn't even... We had uh, a portable DVD player, like what you get on the headrests of cars nowadays, but uh, that was basically our media system for years and years of caravan life and it supplied everything it needed and I also used it to listen to my James Blunt CDs on repeat. <laughs> Can't really say I've listened to that for a while but uh yeah I don't know. So we have uh yeah we have uh an old camcorder and we've got uh what was it called uh it was called Cabin Fever and we did we got Bobby's box out which was a box that um, I have Bobby and Squirrel and some hand puppets uh, that I've had my entirety of my life and I love them to pieces and these little hand puppets Bobby and Squirrel Bobby is a beaver and Squirrel is a red squirrel obviously uh, so I yeah uh, we 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 get this box and we cut out cut out a window in Bobby's box and make right Bobby's box on the top and we do uh, uh, a cabin fever I think it was like three weeks maybe we were stuck in our caravan uh, snowed in uh, and and we did the yeah we did the cab we did the old uh, oh, my mum's message maybe yes sir. I'm coming home soon I'm just talking to myself on the top of a hill Um. Yeah. Not too long now. Um, yeah, so we had uh, uh, the Bobby's box and we had a like, uh, cabin fever <laughs> series, I suppose. And we filmed it uh, with us on hand puppets and pretty much most of it I was wetting myself because my dad is the funniest cunt on the planet when it comes to impressions, impersonations, and just having banter, and laughs. Fucking, it's so funny. Just makes me absolutely wet myself sometimes. So, (laughs) that was happening. And uh, (laughs) during this period of uh, probably about three weeks stuck in a field full of snow, not being able to move vehicles or get to anywhere and just having to deal with the day with neighbours like Wall and Nutmeg, who were dreadlock people who just lived in yurts, and Stan, which was my uh, dad's old work boss, uh, they set up a company together, so they were mates for a long time, still probably sort of out, and he now, he does up Unimogs and travels the world, I think, lives in Germany. Uh, used to do the Dakar in Unimogs. He Used to have loads of Unimogs. It's fucking thick, cunt. Anyway, he had a scout, the uh, a husky, he had a scout a husky, which was his dog. And I remember getting on till bags. So we'd get an old like uh, old till bag for like a compost compost bag. Fill it full of bit of foam. You get a bit of foam in it, and that is the best sledge on the planet a till bag with foam in it and then you'd get some get some blue rope and you'd uh, get your blue rope and you'd uh, you'd tie it onto the dog onto the dog's harness and away you'd go you'd have a dog sled and I remember fucking riding that thing probably to nearly death I remember falling off it at high speed (laughs) I remember some crazy experiences but basically like all the adults were kids And my dad used to make bone arrows and stuff. I remember, like, just playing target practice with just pure adults, just loving life. Just, like, I don't know, just naturally being happy. Shooting flaming arrows about and having firework sessions ourselves and... Yeah. And then making some of the ice sculptures that we made were ridiculous. Archways with big prongs sticking off them uh just solid ice structures that had stayed there for weeks literally weeks and and the way the the way we built snowmen was i don't know it's similar to most people but probably on a larger scale because what we did in the field was it's like the field like has a valley in it itself so it tapers down to a bottom which has a small bog in it and uh Basically, from both sides of the field valley, we'd roll snowballs, and you'd the first thing my dad would do he'd wake up, scrape the roof off, scrape the, the snow off the roof of the caravan, and that uh, get everything ready, and then he'd go outside and check if the snow's the right density for rolling, and he'd get a roll on, and he'd start rolling a bit of snow, and once it got to the like I don't know the same size as same size as a football or something, it'd start to like pack faster and faster and it'd become like a spiral so like the fibonacci sequence laying itself out right in front of you and it'd beautifully spiral up and get fatter and fatter as it spiraled and when i mean like fatter and fatter i mean like by the time this thing would get sort of near the bottom of the hill we'd be talking the size of hay bales the size of silage bales on a tractor and probably way more these things were fucking enormous if one of these hit, like, luckily there's no caravans in the bottom of the valley, but if they fucking did, wipe it out, man. And these snowballs were so big. And the reason you knew how big they were is because you could pile four of them up together and you could hollow it out and you could have an igloo. You could have an igloo, basically. We did loads of tunnel building and just pile these blocks up and build inside them in snow and like oh mate i don't i don't know if everyone had this upbringing but i just feel so lucky to have experienced this and er... Uh, yeah so uh what was i gonna say yeah the, these these uh snow bales which we called them were just in, enormous and they'd uh, They'd uh, be so useful, and it'd be, I don't know, the snow would, snow would start melting, and it'd be probably... You'd get nearly six or seven weeks out of some of these huge piles of snow. Like, they would just last and last and last and last. And the sun would be out, and it'd be like... season would be changing. There'd still fucking these balls of snow on the ground they just... Oh, they'd hold the temperature for a long period of time, yeah. Yeah. So, as well, in the winter, a good thing was when I was mates with James, he was a young lad He was really strong. We used to just do a lot of hanging around together. Whenever it snowed or got real cold, we'd uh, just go out of our caravan, and if you go down the hill over the wall and down the hill into the bottom of the valley uh you get you start going off down the hill and then there's a wall at the bottom that drops off like off the field so it's not like a wall that sticks up out the field it's like flush with the field and it drops off a wall sort of thing so yeah and then it drops off sort of into a boggy area uh that floods like all the time so it's constantly flooding so it's just a big pond basically huge pond with a Telegraph poles that run up through the bottom of it, and these are, and usually it'd freeze, and it'd freeze, pretty fucking solid, because it was like I don't know, it was it was still water. It wasn't, it wasn't moving in any sort. Of where there was no flow to it at all. It was just st- stagnant water, so it'd freeze with like all the reed heads popping out the top of it. And you could see cowpats like below it, and you could get a stick and you could crack the ice and poke the cowpats and just watch them just disintegrate under the water, watch the little bugs and stuff. And being children, we were perfectly. It, we'd we'd always try and weight bear on it or chuck stones across it. Holy shit, yeah, throwing stones like far as you could see, just out across this fucking ice bed, and you go or breaking up ice. That was it, breaking up ice and flicking ice. And if you were... Uh, I remember standing on that. I think it was a whole... My auntie was down there. Wall and Nutmeg were down there. My mum was down there. My dad was down there. And they were all playing like this sort of weird ice hockey game, I think. and Or they were just ice skating or fucking around on the ice. Someone got hurt that day, I think. I think Auntie Lizzie fell over and smacked her head pretty bad. But, um. like, it was an, a fu- your own ice skating ring. And it wasn't just... Like thin ice, it was fucking thick. And James, me and James used to go down on the sledge. And by this point, we'd uh, changed our sledge idea to uh, the blue, the like blue feed barrels that you get, like pheasant feed barrels almost. You get like one of them that's like person-sized anyway. And you basically get in it. You get you cut it in half, and then you get in it and you attach a bit of rope onto the front of it and then you've created, like, the best sledge on the planet. I don't... Because ah. the rim of the... the Yeah, the actual rim of the barrel, uh, you could, like, if you lean towards the back of the sledge, the rim of the barrel used to sort of dig into the floor. Therefore, it, was like, had a break on it. And you were like, why why aren't everyone just rocking around in one of these? And, yeah i don't know we had a wooden sledge as well with like metal runners like a proper with the spiral arms all made of wood like a traditional uh santa sledge or whatever like, uh, not santa sledge like a uh, Esk- eskimo sledge dog sled sledge and we used that a bit but it was uh yeah, yeah it had to be the right snow if it was too deep it wouldn't really work it had to be like the right compaction and you had to grease up the runners all the time because it had metal runners on it it wouldn't slide otherwise usually you'd get on it and it just wouldn't really move uh, so yeah we, we we created different things and these barrels when you made sledging routes in them if you kept your sledging route there you could go back to it like literally for a week you could go back to your same sledging spot every day for a week and you'd have a track cut in basically so your track could be cut in in the snow and you could just follow the same like you'd go down and it'd be like a train it'd follow the same line because it it'd hard pack in and you'd basically make this slide like a a barrel slide because it was like a, a semicircle. and some sometimes the snow would be like half a foot deep to a foot deep so it oh it was amazing it just sit this semicircle in the snow that had lasted there for ages and then again when all the snow melted at the uh at the uh, at the end of it, then you just see all these like zigzags and lines and straight lines down the hills where the snow would be really compacted and would take ages and ages to melt. So yeah, I don't know. It was it was really smart like that. And yeah, yeah, these, these like uh, yeah, the tracks were awesome. And then. uh Yeah, so, uh, yeah, and then it was James, yeah, sorry, I was going to say that ages ago, but uh, James, uh, we used to go down to the telegraph pole that was in the middle of the massive ice ring with these sledges, and uh, basically, he'd uh, he'd hold the rope on the sledge, and he'd, he'd hold his hand on the telegraph pole, and all he'd do is spin. And he'd start spinning. And once you get like third rotation, I was hanging out probably about like two or three metres away from the pole. So I was getting to some speed now. I was trying not to fall out of the sledge because the back of it was open. And I was like, nah, the g-force is too much. And then he'd let go. And I'd go shooting out across this ice thing for fucking... Oh, it was the most... I'd spin and just sat on this sledge, just sliding along this huge ice paddock. Just absolutely beautiful times as a child, yeah, flying around, flying across that ice like almost like a hundred mile an hour, what felt like a hundred mile an hour, getting to the other side of it, and just then having to get back and like try and get myself back to James for another go Sli- uh, i I'd usually have a stick and like try and dig it into the ice, but there's some major major bad occurrences as well where we'd be. We'd be like, yeah, the ice is thick enough s- to get on. Like Everyone's like, right, let's get people on. And then four people would get on, and you'd work out four people in one area on ice is a lot of weight. So you'd just be like, oh, come and have a look at this cowpat over here. So you'd get, like, mum and dad to come over and have a look at the cowpat, and you'd hear this <coughs> deep bass bellow crack that had run out, like thunder, like thunder, exactly like thunder. And I would just shit myself and either lie down or run to the side. Uh, Mate, I hated that. But, yeah, there was a few times where there were some big holes put in it with wet people, but the cracks that came off it were were just mesmerising. Yeah, such a deep bellow. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. The contrast from going from uh, the shed to the caravan was... Yeah, it was quite. It was quite dramatic actually, because the shed was very. There was three of us that lived there, and when we moved into the caravan, Isabel was sort of. She was being born, so. I think she was born around the time we moved into the caravan, or just after. Maybe we were there for like six months to a year before she was born, but. I can't quite remember, but. The shed was like, a lot smaller and, a lot cozier but it was in the woods, and it had a stable door at the back, and you'd open the stable door, and you'd go out, and you'd have two little ponds in the back garden, and like a nice little rockery in the woods, and it was a stable door, it had horseshoes on it, and I remember half of it was always open, and the fire was in the corner by the stable door, and then the walls of it were all like, all exactly like the caramel, so rustic, and so nice, Uh, Yeah, and I remember the thing I used to do as a child in the in the shed, like ninety percent of the time, it was a couple of things. We used to have the tarp uh, again that was over the caravan, the same one that was over the shed, but it was, uh, it was in like a sort of a different shape because it had a shed roof rather than a flat roof. It come out on like a V shape, and it come out so we had a bit of an awning out the front, and we'd have it tapered off to the side, so all the water would go into a like this little bathtub. Which was uh, which was my water games bathtub. And I'd have all these fucking toys and just play with water, just direct it in different directions and that was like basically as a child water was my go to fucking thing to play with. I I loved just playing with water, sending it different directions and just I don't know, moving it around <laughs> I don't know why that's so satisfying, but it was. And the other thing being just listening to records, like we used to have loads of uh, children's stories and children's books on record. And I found some of them on YouTube and, like, the runaway train went down the track and she blew. Whoop, whoop. There's loads, loads and loads of old songs that uh, They're from, like, the 1950s, I think, or even, even older. They're just real crackly, super old, like that... Um, it's got, like, that uh, grammar in your voice, like when you've got to speak with grammar, so it's like a uh, very prim and properly spoken, but re- really beautiful, and yeah, I found something on YouTube, and they're awesome, uh, Summit Toys, uh, loads of nursery rhymes anyway, and, and all sorts of things sung by this, uh, this guy, Three Blind Mice, and oh, I don't know, it was just, ah, childhood memories are amazing, and I've got all this, like, photo documented as well. I've got hundreds of pictures to prove everything I've said, so... Um, don't try and discredit it in any way, because Yeah, but... Um, yeah, I had a lot of favourite trees as well, so... Just by the shed there, there was... Uh, Three different favourite trees at the farm, possibly four. Well, there's hundreds of millions, but I love trees so much. Um, and the first one being where I lived in the shed, probably the one that means the most to me was uh, a little, like a rocky cliff in the woods that overlooked the shed. And I used to spend a lot of my time up there, and I used to go and hug my tree and play with my tree. And it was a uh, an oak tree that forked in three different directions at the bottom. But each uh, each stem was about 30 centimetres in diameter and there was a little crevice in the middle of the uh, the split where you could almost stand as a child and I used to stand in the middle of these three stems that were like emanating from the same stump so it's like you stepped up off the ground into the crotch of a tree and you could just look at the shed from where I was sat and I used to just spend a lot of time just sat there looking. And, yeah, that tree is now a lot bigger, but fucking amazing, and still go back to that. And another tree is one down where the caravan was, and it's an oak tree that sits uh, just in the woods behind the caravan where we had uh, my little tyke swing that was put in the tree there. And basically any tree that's got a swing in it means something special to me. And, uh, yeah, this swing... Yeah, this swing was uh, attached to a pulley system that my dad decided was a great idea, which gave me my fear of heights, which is great fun. And uh, it's attached to a pulley system, so he had control of what height the swing could be. So uh, it was a swing where you sit in it and you get sort of bolted in. It was like a little tykes swing, so it's like them little toy cars that you get that people run around in as kids, but uh, a swing, so it's fairly safe. And because it was on a pulley system, he'd like to take me probably about... probably about 75 foot off the ground, like 50 metres maybe off the ground, fucking in this little swing as a child, and then, like, not drop you, but, like, lower you down pretty quickly, and, and swinging, and it was pretty intense at times. And I definitely sort of remember getting a sort of fear for heights from that <laughs> but that's that tree itself I used to hug that that was a huge oak tree and just beyond that oak tree I had uh, this it was like a uh, loads of holly that ran through the woods and I was like I want to live in that holly bush like, it looks real nice so what I did was uh, what well, me and my dad did and and my brother and sister I think at the time maybe my sister I don't think Aaron was quite old enough yet but I sort of, like, trimmed out all the branches that were inside because it was, like, it was like a den. It was, like, it was dark inside and it was, like, you couldn't even see inside from outside the holly bushes, so. And it had, like, a little passageway that led down into, like, a little kitchen area. I was, like, oh, this is going to be in my kitchen. And I used to climb up these heli trees and spend loads of time playing in these bushes. They were deep in the woods, basically. And the, de- the deer, I used to see deer from there and just, like, almost try and talk to them, like, chat to these deer, being a kid, not not caring, and now when people see deer, they're mesmerized, and I'm like, maybe I should have been more mesmerized and less chatty around deer when I was younger. But uh, yeah, now I'm completely mesmerized. We have 100 of, <laughs> a hundred of, I heard of a hundred deer that live in this valley on the bogs that I was talking about that I'm overlooking currently. I generally see them every single day on the way to work. Like it's fucking ridiculous. The deer are just a common sight, and and in huge quantities as well so it's uh, real beautiful, and yeah, basically this den, this holly den, I was just like, yeah, I want this to be proper cool, and me and my dad, we built a a bed in there out of, out of like wicker, like weaving, We, we weaved a bed out of wood, we made this like fucking, like just out of what was there, like sticks, just fucking sticks and shit built a couple of like stick benches and like a table and I used to take like loads of shit down there and have tea parties with myself and my imaginary friends junior my imaginary duckling interesting but yeah so yeah and then there was a little uh <laughs> a little shed on the way down to into the woods and it had like a like a gate doorway and we, we were never really allowed in there it had a I remember we used to keep all the stuff to make elderflower champagne in there. We used to go in there once a year to get the elderflower champagne brewing kit out uh, to make our elderflower champagne, which we still do every year cause it's just and and the damson gin and the uh, rocket fuel basically. That's all all that gets made out of that that shed, and in there I don't know where it is now. I've not seen it since we moved, but we used to have um, like a fairground horse from like a fairground ride that was all painted up like a like a a merry-go-round horse that was attached to some springs on a base. It was like this. And it was made of metal, and it was, like, going rusty. It was really scary. Anyway, that was in there, and I I don't know. That must have emanated the fact that it must have been a dragon, but me and my mate Noah were convinced there was a dragon that lived in there, and we'd go and feed the dragon and talk to the dragon (laughs) and everything. Anyway, this dragon definitely lived in there, and it still probably does if the shed's not there, but... I agree it will still live somewhere and Noah's stepdad at the time uh, in the woods he'd, he'd, he'd play to this fact quite quite a lot and he brought these uh, I'm not even going to say what they are I'm going to say what I thought they were first so we, we went out into the garden and he was like well, what's in the garden mate Like, if you've seen these come from anywhere and we went out and there was these they were like probably about two metres long a metre and a half long and they were green, dark green and black, right? And there were, they were the, these oval blades that, like, hundreds of them, that attached to, like, a, a long tube, basically, a, lo- a long tube about thin tube with loads of these spikes attached all the way down them, like these dark green black spikes in a circular spiral formation, but everywhere, all the way down it. You couldn't touch these things. They they went down to a, a real sharp point, and they were the they they look so scary and out of this world, and we we pondered them for about a couple of hours, me and Noah, and we couldn't touch them, we couldn't do anything with them, and his stepdad was obviously just loving it. I like just look at the kids playing with these fucking weird spiky things that they don't even know what they are, and they're trying to work it out and we convinced ourselves that they were dragons tails, and uh, yeah, they're never not going to be dragon's tails to me; they're always going to be dragon's tails. but later on we found out they weren't dragon's tails and we were, we went and I remember talking to the dragon in the shed not opening the door or anything just going to the door and chatting to nothing in the shed imaginary friends are amazing we're chatting to this dragon me and Noah about how these these tails uh, were they from one of one of the you guys because we have no idea where these dragon's tails have come from and they're obviously a dragon and they're obviously a tail and also dragons were a big part of my life because where I'm sat now is on the dragon and it's called the dragon because from the farm, it looks like a fucking dragon. It looks like a diplodocus that's lying down, like a big herbivore that's lying down that is about four or five miles long, probably longer, probably six miles long. And its head, its neck, like lays out into the distance round a corner and it's like curled a bit. And its tail runs all the way down to the sea. And I'm sat on its like its rear end tail right now. And its its backbone's just up there. Uh, It's fucking this huge dragon-shaped thing that looks like it's lying down. And its leg, like, spans out down. I can see it. Holy shit. I can actually see its leg. Holy shit. Mate, I'm actually sat on a dragon. But, anyway, so I've been led to believe dragons are a thing (laughs) almost my entire life. Uh, Because we always spoke about the dragon being the dragon. And just because it was called that, I just thought it was a dragon. Uh, And I still... Still do, as you just heard I think it still is. I'm sat on it now. it feels very dragony, feels very dragony. sat on it. I'm just sat on an ant hill and I've been sat here for the last let's find out two hours and seven minutes on the way home from work. um yeah, just chatting about the location of what where I live and where I lived and <laughs> yeah the the dragon thing anyway we, we ended up chatting to these this this shed door about these dragons um and yeah we found out these they, they were in fact monkey puzzle branches from a monkey puzzle tree and after finding this out, i was extremely upset i was extremely upset, but then a lot of people restored the fire and said. Look, just because they're off a tree doesn't mean they're fucking weird and they look like dragon's tails. Oh, oh shit, yeah. Holy fuck, we do actually... I describe them as dragon's tails. We work them out as dragon's tails, so they're never not going to be a dragon's tail to me. So there you go. That's the... The tail of the dragon. Literally. Uh, So... Yeah, and then oh, I've not even said anything about how how it came about we left. But there's a farm further up the valley in Oxen Park who uh, is Alan Armstead. He's thankfully passed away. Uh, to be fair, because he he was just a nasty nasty piece of work. He was he's was a nasty man, and he's what destroyed uh, our future. There, uh, he he, and he didn't have a, a good running with. Uh, good experiences, like in the past, before I was born, he ended up, uh, 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 my mum's horse escaped from from the field, and and it went down the valley, a couple of fields, and it was ended up in a field owned by the farmer along the valley, Alan Armistead, who's the brother of the woman who owns the farm that we were at. but he was a nasty piece of work. He was a, it was just a greedy fucking nasty man, and he he ca- he took my mum's pony into his, his barns and said, "You're not having your pony back, basically. You're not having it back. It it ran away. It's mine now." And uh, it was a real real hard fuck about to get a horse back, and that was like the first experience. He was just hating people that lived in the right ways, and he was in a, a long term. Uh, court dispute um, over who land was own owned uh, ownership to land, whether it is his or is his sister's. Um, that piece of land being the one that we were eventually evicted from, because he supposedly forged or found a will <laughs> that said about like fifty years after his parents had died, fucking. Well, not 50 years, but, uh, like, 30 years or whatever. I don't know how long. Um, quite a long time after his parents had died that it was actually his land and he he could kick his sister off and be a cunt and fuck up his sister's life and everyone who was living the free lifestyle there. And he knew that. And he used to send cows into the field sometimes, like, just open the gates and send cows in just to fuck us up. And, oh, mate, he's, he's a nasty piece of work. And anyway, he... Uh, we ended up getting my mum's horse back. This was well before I was born, but, uh, yeah, she ended up getting her horse back and things. Uh, many years later, she went to Spain and le- left a dog with a with a, a mate who was living in a caravan at the same spot. A sweep, an Alsatian, her best friend for many years. And uh, she, went, she went to Spain for a couple of months. And, and, yeah, when she arrived back, she was greeted with news that the local farmer had shot her dog for... Not even chasing sheep. Like it. It wasn't even chasing sheep. It was, it was just being walked on property that wasn't. Uh, uh, theirs And it was being free. It was. I think it was in, in the edge of a woodland, coming out into a field. And uh, yeah, he fucking shot it. Fucking like. Someone's best friend, man. Someone's fucking best friend they had for years. Like, and an Alsatian. A fucking beautiful Alsatian dog that just... Whoever owns dogs will understand how that'd feel. And, yeah. And basically he was trying to evict us and he'd killed my mum's dog, captured my mum's horse at this point. And then, yeah, within years later he got... Uh, he got a lot of fines for poisoning birds of prey... Uh, he had a legal weapon stored under his bed I don't know, the list goes on in the end he got a winning court case which meant that uh, Crook Farm was in ownership of Alan Armistead and the eviction notice started and we got uh, we ended up trying to apply for adverse possession which meant that if you'd lived on a property for over 12 years you technically could claim that you had rights over it And at the time, there was a, a guy, Ewan, living there, uh, a busker from Ulverston who was living in a caravan there for quite a while, amazing guy, uh, beautiful artist. He he plays steel guitar and harmonica. And he basically s- squatted in the house after we got evicted to try and keep it and live there for, for longer. He went through fucking loads of hassle with court cases, trying to save the spot from getting taken away from us. Um it all went through, we tried to file adverse possession claims and we were getting close but we did, I don't know, it was really difficult at the time and, and we did get a really, really good opportunity there was uh, a set, selection of houses being built in one of uh, our friend's mum's uh, property which she owned a school oh, she lived in a school uh, in Southway, and, and the school had closed down and then been closed for quite a few years and she lived in a schoolhouse and then it was getting rebuilt for housing development, there was some houses getting built on the property of the old school. And in that process of uh, knocking down a swimming pool, uh, or it was an outdoor swimming pool, moving the swimming pool and building uh, number one school court, which was, yeah, the place where I was to get taken away from the greatest life on the planet to, anyway. And at the time I didn't see it as uh, as, as like a real bad thing. Uh, the eviction was hard for my parents. My mum never left the spot until the very, very last day. She never even left. She never even seen the house. She just did not wanna move. My dad couldn't deal with it in the way that he had to just get it over and done with and sort it out and leave it at that and then try and move on with his life. And I was just super happy to have a change of scenery. Uh, I I loved where I lived I loved everything about it but I was still at a very young age I was 12 years old I didn't really I just loved riding my bike and being outside and playing with my mates so for me I had mates that lived closer and I had a tarmac driveway to ride my bike on which was a change and and other things but it was it was just a very very small hamlet and and the people that live there are all very very nice people and we get on like a fucking hamlet on fire literally we all get on so well we've had our disputes in the past like uh, and uh, them neighbours have just moved on and left and everyone who lives there now understands and just accepts that people fucking do what they want and everyone there fucking has dabbled in like weed and stuff so having that around is just super relaxed and It's a really nice, relaxed environment to live in. Um, I wouldn't change it for the world where I live now, but, like, it's such a... I was so lucky to have lived in both of these locations. Uh, The first one being so much more uh, self-sufficient and nice, and there was no house, (laughs) so for me it was ten times better. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, moving into a house was a different thing, and it's not for me, it's not something I think I'll do forever too expensive for one fucking well too expensive (laughs) fucking yeah yeah it's a good spot so I don't know this podcast has just been me chatting about like where I've lived and and how it's affected me and and how how it's created the person I am now I suppose and ugh stand up for a wee bit, it's been a while. Two hours and 17 minutes and I haven't stood up. Beautiful evening, I'm glad I've spent it out here. Basically chatting to myself. uh, It's been amazing watching the cows in the distance. uh, Staring longingly into a location I'd long to be, but One day, I go back there occasionally. I had a very, very strange experience there recently, actually. And I've been, uh, I've recently been since uh, the lockdown. I bought a mandolin because there's a guy there, Steve, uh, who I used to hang around with a lot, and he was amazing. He, yeah, he was amazing. He lived in yurts, as well, like Nutmeg, and he he was so cool. He he was a he was a busker as well. He he played mandolin on the streets just all around and he lived in the field in a yurt. And what what he did was, uh, w- when he used to get firewood, I remember when he used to get firewood, he used to hang around with him and he's like, right, I'm off to get firewood. And he'd, like, jump around a bit like a monkey. He'd grab his bow saw and he'd go, and he'd, like, just jump the fence and run off into the woods like that. And that's what... <laughs> it was so funny. It's so great to watch just winding me up as a kid and... Yeah, like... That sort of style, like, I love it. He was just, like, oh, proper being like a monkey boy and, like, going out and getting his firewood. He always wore a flat cap and, yeah. And he was the most beautiful mandolin player ever. And Wall, I forgot to mention, was uh, the most beautiful fiddle player on the planet. And we had saxophone players. We had a, We had every instrument you could wish for and every night. Oh, not every night, but, like, as many nights as there were in a year was spent, sat around a fire with just music, and I, I spent hours and hours of my life, probably hundreds and hundreds of 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 times going to sleep round fires. Like, that's just a natural thing for me, and it just feels so right. Uh, listening to just beautiful music, always just uh, jigs and reels and hornpipes and fucking beautiful... Beautiful folk music that just emanated into the distance, with saxophones playing over the top, and and all sorts. My dad's very into his drums, and and makes djembes and and makes drums, uh, skins them with deer skin himself that's sourced locally, and and oh, just builds drums that are absolutely awesome. He plays drums and does that and taps sticks about, and just makes makes it all come together. Produces it in the folk fire fire tradition anyway. He's he he always fills in a gap that's always needing to fill in, always there to fill in that gap, and uh, yeah, and and Steve w- was a beautiful mandolin player, and the mandolin tunes. Anytime I hear anything played by him or Bill Lloyd or Sonic tradition Walls Band uh, Wall and Up, they, uh, who who were once together there, currently currently split up wall and nutmeg now which which was a shame but it's moved on for the better and she now goes out with dave who lived at the farm for a lot of years as well he was an ex pilot and he's an amazing guy as well super super down to earth super nice um but yeah while still being an amazing fiddle player and having that connection of amazing musicians around a fire at, at, at any time you wanted and it was around our fire as well it was always around the one like near our caravan or, or there, was, there was multiple fires and shit in the, in the field but yeah that was uh, the majority was, was played around ours for sure and I remember just falling asleep in a pram sat there just so often so often that memory is so frequent and yeah just being being there around the fire and just watching the flames and falling asleep that's just so natural fires for me are the source of like uh entertainment for sure source of entertainment like it's go to like shall I put on a film no i'll have a fire i don't watch films really i watch a couple of films uh I, I, I don't have an attention span i don't i'm not a screen fan i don't watch a lot um my hours are spent listening to music <laughs> and yeah basically so it's it's ingrained and anytime I hear any music played by the people that uh used to play me off to sleep as a child just it's just full of nostalgia. It's just pure nostalgia getting poured into the back of my brain like constantly, and it just boiled me up to buying a mandolin and learning some of these tunes myself so I got out I got it out and started learning a bit, and I am struggling to fucking keep it going, but i'm got a few tunes that I've got I like uh, yeah I need to keep on it and just keep the passion for learning more and I want to learn all the old traditional uh, folk tunes that I used to fall asleep to and especially by Steve uh, and I went back to the farm during the lockdown to just uh, play my mandolin in the same location around the fire sat in the same spot that it all used to happen and I'll see what happens, just to uh, enjoy, enjoy the surroundings. And, and it was a really, really crazy experience. And, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. And I walked away from it pretty confused. But I walked over to where I used to live, remembering it all, how it was there, and being completely in the moment and enjoying my experience there, going to every tree, every rock noticing every even the pegs that were once tied our caravan down into the ground are still are still there in the ground so they're just, they're just all sat there uh, and I was just like kicking the pegs about going like wow as if are following the path that went down to the toilet and down to dad's workshop and just yeah just going around and pointing out the woodshed to myself and yeah just like remembering it all for how it was and then I went to sit around the fire and I could almost hear the music playing and see the fire roaring in front of me and it was out of this world I was like I don't know if it was my brain playing tricks on me but I was loving it I was just being in the moment being completely at one with what was going on and I thought I'd play a few notes and I started started picking out the swallowtail jig from my mandolin and Oh, the notes were just emanating so beautifully across the valley and it brought me to tears instantly and and i was i was just in a state of like complete bliss but sadness and excitement and joy and panic and sheer overwhelming of everything all at once and i had to lie down i had to stop playing i lay back where where i used to sit around the fire i lay back And it was pretty intense, like, I closed my eyes and the feeling was rolling deep, like, real, I didn't know what was... Like, I loved it, but I didn't at the same time. Like, I was just experiencing the feeling. And I wasn't on any sort of substances. I'd had a a joint, and that was about it, and I smoked plenty of weed and joints just... Yeah, they don't really... They're they're not what causes things like... uh, experience experienced like what, what like what that was. It was well weird. It was like it felt like it was emanating from somewhere else. And it and it get it got weirder because it was it was going all right until that point. I was enjoying it almost. I was just like, what is this? What's trying to ask what's going on? Like what's what's feeling this feeling? What is it that feels this? And then I lay back and eyes shut and I was deep in a state of the sun was beating down and next thing I had to flick my head quickly over to the side and violently uh, be sick, which was very abnormal, very, very abnormal for me. I hadn't been sick in probably over a year before that point and I've not been sick since that day. Uh, and, it, and it was arose out of nowhere. I didn't feel sick in any part of this. I was just sick. It just happened. It was just part of what was going on. And it was just instant. And I didn't have anything to be sick. I was not really being sick anything. It was just shite. Like, a little bit of something. And I was so confused. I was just... And at this point, I was, like, shaking a bit. I was anxious. I was worried. I was scared. I was, like... It was well too much at this point. It like... I don't know. It just got too... I I was like, what the fuck? Uh, and I, and I packed my stuff away. And I got up and I, I said my goodbyes to my location... And I wandered off, and I wandered off in a state of absolute confusion and overwhelmingness, and that was that was in this lockdown, that was recently, that was at the start. And I still I kind of, I don't know what the fuck that was, but it was It was great, like, I don't, I don't know what it meant or if it meant anything, or if it was just a, a coincidence, but, uh, yeah, try and explain me the word coincidence. If you think about it if you say coincidence 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 it just becomes a cluster of noises and then it has no meaning it loses its meaning and and so then what happens when a coincidence happens when it has no meaning like the word coincidence doesn't mean anything it's just a phenomenon that's going on even a phenomenon is a word to describe it like it's beyond words it's just Magic or just what's happening? It's just fucking. What is it? It's just. It's crazy. It's just. It blows my mind every time. Um. What is a coincidence like beyond words? Because words are just things we use to describe what's actually going on on our fucking. State of consciousness in our realm, in our fucking. Loading screen. It's just our way of articulating what's happening, or, oh, oh, yeah, and it doesn't fill every gap. like I've explained this before. It doesn't fit everything you've got. Yeah, to use other things and yeah, very interesting. Uh, anyway, the I'll move on now to a part that for me is like the the worst the 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 worst part about the whole experience that. Um, through a few recent MD, MDMA experiences, I've come to terms with what it means about. But um, the day... The, d- ..the day we left, basically, the day we left, the day we we slowly moved into the house and I was getting a bedroom in the house. It was quite exciting. My mum was still living at the caravan. My dad was sort of setting up the house. And then... Um, 2011... The year that the donkey died, Benji. The year that we got evicted from the farm. The worst year ever. Um, Really. And then, uh, so after that, it was that day after school, and I got picked up from school um, by some cool people that have their own land and they build yurts on their own land and in the time that they're not building yurts on their own land they travel during the winter in a bus and just enjoy other parts of the world and then in the times that they're back here they build yurts and then uh, they take them around festivals and do like backstage festivals yurts and chill out yurts and things like that and they're just beautiful people and uh, yeah amazing people anyway they uh, andy and vicky they picked us up from uh, school and they live quite far away so it's really strange to see them and i was like why are yous picking me up and my mum was with them and i was confused and i was just like oh we're just going to get a few things from the farm i was like oh okay then so we headed back to crook farm which not knowing at the time was the last time i travelled down that road without pure Fucking sadness, anyway. Pure... I don't know, that was, the, that was the day that everything changed. And, oh, it's making me shake and tear up now, but fucking... What happened that day has sort of stemmed... A low-level PTSD that's lasted... Will probably last in the entirety of my life. It'll probably last forever. And I've been working on it, and I've come to terms with it in a recent MDMA experience. Like, I've got, I've got talking about it openly without feeling... I don't know, I talked about my PTSD issues and I felt like it was PTSD and I felt like I needed to talk about it. And it felt like it helped a lot, just chatting with my mates about it. And then after that experience, reading up about MDMA, about how it does, it is being, like, uh, used in uh, parts of the USA, uh, in America, to for PTSD treatment. And it's just like, fuck, I come to terms with this, without even knowing that, so yeah, that was like my favourite part about it, Um, but I'm glad I've found a a way to sort of, I don't know, get to the bottom of my PTSD, but um, anyway, that day we got back to the field and we weren't picking up anything but my father and we arrived in the car park and I got out and then I didn't have to walk that far. I didn't have to walk to my caravan. Uh, all I all I had to do was walk across the cattle grid and through the gate, and another ten fifteen meters before. I could see what was going on. I could I could see what was going on, and from that point I could see probably three four hundred meters across the field to my caravans in the corner. We had four caravans there at the time. We had a static... Three caravan, so we had a static caravan, my caravan. And we had my mum's old caravan. All the other sheds had sort of been taken away and things. And they were all dark green and they were all just sat there beautifully. Uh, well, and then... Well, they weren't... Bec- well, yeah. I looked at them and basically most of the metal had been taken off a static caravan for... weighing in for scrap, so... It didn't really look like my home anymore. It was just a wooden box. And on the sides of it and on the front, there was spray paint everywhere. And it was... The peace sign was on the front, and there was, like, fuck you on the side. And, like, I don't know, loads of, like, hippie shit, but, like, shit that meant a lot. Like, like my dad had gone round and sprayed up these caravans for when the evicted people come round, cos... What happened was, is we knew all this was happening, so rather than getting evicted by eviction people, we were just... We, mutually, everybody left. Everybody just got out of there, and we knew the eviction people were coming around the date that we were actually meant to get evicted, and, yeah, for that day, my dad went round and sprayed... sprayed all the, basically, caravans and things that were around with spray cans, like, just telling them what he felt about and just putting like you fuck this and I don't know just ch- showing him a piece of his mind really just when the eviction people come round and see what they were what they've ruined what the fuck they've done how much pain and misery they've just caused well not them it's fucking Alan Armistead he's the one that fucking started it all it's not even them, but like, yeah, so when he come round and see what, like, his land that he was going to be getting, evicting all, he was, he was going to get a real buzz out of fucking kicking all these fucking hippie folk out of this field, so we fucked him off, and we just, we fucked off, and left what we thought about him on the caravans, basically, and then, yeah, that had all gone on, which I didn't really know about until afterwards, and then, yeah, quite a few years afterwards, and then that was the day, though, that we arrived there after school and and I was stood there in the field seeing the spray paint on the caravans and seeing the static caravan that was in the car park that was rented out to people. It was really quite a nice new one that we were meant to... We were meant to change it and live in that one. We were meant to swap it with the one when ours was broken. Looking at that, and it was ruined. It had been smashed up. It had been... Hit with an axe about a thousand times. All the windows were smashed in. The sides were caved in, and I was just so confused. And my mum was like, "Yeah, Mark smashed up the caravan. Wendy's son with an axe. Just like he smashed up everything that was worth something. So when the eviction people come, they can't. Uh, when Alan gets stuff, he can't get anything that's worth anything out of us. Basically, because he it was going to be his inheritance. It was his life, basically, that was ruined as well. Uh, so he didn't get his inheritance." which was meant, to be, it was meant to be his farm. He was working out of that spot for, for his walling business. Like, it was, he used it for storing his machines and shit. He needed it. It was fucking taken away from him as much as it was taken away from us. He would have let us live there if he'd owned it. And, it, yeah, it was sad. So he was real angry about it, and he was a madman. So right now, as we speak, there's something actually in the field. Right near where my caravan was. An animal, I don't know what it is. It could be a deer... Or it could be rabbit. It can't be a rabbit. It's well too far away. It's... Oh, what the fuck is it? What is it? It could be a deer. You know, it's really dark. There's no sheep out in that field at all. So it's uh, a, it's privately owned field. It's not a farm field. It's uh, belongs to the house, like I said. Yeah, there's something in it anyway. Um, but yeah. So all the worth was taken out of the spot, and then a sin Marjorie, I remember when I sin uh the day before that, uh, and I was at school uh, at the school tuck shop, and Marjorie was in the school tuck shop, and I didn't have enough money to get my sweets, and she was like, "Do you want some money?" I was like, "Oh, hello, Marjorie. Yeah, I'll have some money." And she pulled out some money out of her pocket, and she had probably about a thousand pound in twenties, and just gave me twenty quid, and I was like, uh, "They're just like one piece sweets here, but all right, all right." And she told me to keep the change and the The person who was working behind the uh, behind the counter was oh she, that was Joanne she's the uh, old office woman in the place I used to work but uh, yeah at that time I knew her as a shopkeeper and she was so confused that this old woman just gave me twenty quid and told me to keep the change and I did say like oh I I do know her and that was the last time I ever saw that woman she she had a rucksack on and she left and she didn't take any of her possessions with her. She left everything. she just packed a rucksack and walked away. No idea where she went to. no idea where she is now. I hope to fuck she's still alive. She was about a hundred years old, like for the whole twelve years I lived there. It was ridiculous. And we ended up taking an, like loads of her uh, stuff from her caravan again and moving into the house, like loads like the the fly blinds, loads of books. She had like a basically like, a library in there, like loads of nice bird feeders. Well, we took uh, a lot of radios, she had loads of radios and shit. Uh, lots of plates and stuff and cutlery. Yeah, interesting anyway. Uh, we got a few things from there when, when she just uh, walk, walked away anyway. And then back to the fucking field. Oh, the animal's gone anyway. So it was something. Yeah, back to the field. So, yeah, this the, the, the bit that's given me PTSD that stuck with me forever and the will, and I can't unsee it ever in my life, and it fucks me up, but it'll be fucking, I don't know. It's just one of them things, and it's just a constant fear, but it'll be fine. It's, uh yeah, I stood at the top of the field, and my dad started... lit this fucking massive flame on a stick, and he went straight up to our caravan, Doused it in petrol, and torched it, and the same with my caravan, and the same with my mum's caravan. Just yeah, sent them down basically, and I don't know. I thought I felt like that was something he had to do himself, but there was there was sort of the, the caravans had rotted into the ground. They'd been there for years and years and years. They they weren't going to move so wasn't really any other way of getting rid of them but um it was something that I really really wish I'd never seen I wish that day had gone differently and I'd gone home to the house and I'd not gone back to the farm that day because I would have because every time I go up that lane every time I go back to that spot that is the forefront of what I see I just see my home on fire in front of me like everything that meant so much to me in my life in flames none of my possessions being there none of of my things being there we'd moved but that was the confirmation of it, that was it and then from yeah, that that, yeah, that sank deep and that I don't know, I can still see it now and it fucking, it's not something I want to see at all but like And I I stood there, I remember, every moment. And I stood there on the top of that hill. uh, Tears rolling down my face. I I was distraught. And my mum was, like, trying to shield my eyes, telling me not to look. And I was trying to... I was, like, trying to run home. (laughs) Yeah, I was trying to get home. I was trying to... I was trying to run home. And I... Yeah, I couldn't and there was there was bits of there was that picture on the wall fucking jesus <laughs> i didn't think it'd get me this hard. but anyway the uh, the back wall of the caravan where the painting was the, the the landscape picture of of everything i wanted i remember when we got the caravan and my dad asked me what, what color do you want your caravan and i was like oh, i want my room i want it green like the grass I want it red like the sorrel and I want it, like, gold like the sun, yellow like the sun. And that's exactly what I said. And that's the, the way my room was painted. And I had this cool thing by my bed that was a bit of plywood with loads of holes cut in it. And it had all my favourite stickers on it. And it had oh, it had loads of stickers of, like, uh, like uh, diggers and, and dumpers and tractors and shit, and I loved all that and all my little... People stick. Oh, I don't know. It had all my little childhood stickers on it, and it was painted red. With the room, the room was yellow. um The roof was green, and the wall and the like the other things in the room were red. And I was like, "This is beautiful!" Like, not knowing at that time in my life that they were the raster colors. Not not knowing that I'd smoke weed in later life and work out that my three favorite colors in life have been the raster colors, and I didn't even know it. And um, like, yeah, being. Not like yeah. being a weed smoker now, like loving loving the red red, yellow and green flag, and just yeah. So that was ingrained and then when Isabel was born we had to change it because she was like, I don't like the colours, just not mine. it's not my thing and I was like, Fair enough, I've got i I've got someone to share the room with. What should we do? And my dad ended up painting this landscape that was it had the windmills that I can see at Kirby Moor and it had the hode in Ulveston, the same shape hill. I had the rolling hills of the countryside. It had everything, basically, and uh, yeah, had yeah, had all of this. Yeah, had ev- all 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 the cool shit on it on this wall, and I don't know. That was that was like a hard part. I knew I never had a picture of that. I've got a picture of it in my room right now, but like. I didn't have my personal picture of it. I have a picture of when it was there. but I don't know. It's uh, I struggle moving on. I struggle changing. I struggle letting go. And everyone does, but I need to learn. And one day I'll probably be... I'll work on them and I'll be sound at letting go. And it, I'll be good at moving on. But at the moment, I'm still pretty shit at it. But... Uh, yeah, and... Just being in that state of... I didn't want to see what I was seeing. I was. My mum was trying to not let me see, but I just... all I wanted was to go down there and get my shit back. I wanted my wall back. I wanted my paintings back. I wanted my stickers back. I wanted the bit of wood that had holes in it back. I wanted everything about it back. And I still do. And mm-hmm. I never won't. I'll always want it back. Yeah. Yeah. I'll always want it back. But Yeah, it's uh I don't really want to end on a sad note. Um so I'll uh, just give you a quick explanation about uh the cosmic tree. And the cosmic tree is a tree that uh sits above the top field which is ne- uh, right next to the pond where we used to get our water from. And uh, the cosmic tree is one of my favourite trees but it's not an oak tree it's a beech tree and it is amazing it's on a rock on like a a rocky plinth and the roots spread down for metres across the tops of these rocks before they enter the ground and it grows up about maybe two or like maybe five or six metres at a girth of about a thousand millimetres like I don't know Yeah, something like that. Huge girth, huge. Like, you could have about four people link arm around around it, probably. Like, it's huge. And then it branches off from there from about, probably about 30 or 40 main stems that come off it from there with a canopy that is one of the most wildly huge canopies ever. And there's a few pictures of my dad fucking free climbing it when he was younger. And I don't know, it's got powers, does that tree. It's some sort of cosmic aerial to the outer worlds. And it fucking... We used to go up there very often, go to the cosmic tree. I can actually pinpoint exactly which tree it is from where I'm sat now. Holy shit. Oh, yeah, by the way, all the trees I've explained in this, I'm currently... I can pinpoint. I can pinpoint my holly den. I can pinpoint the tree that I got yanked to the top of in the little tyke uh, swing. I can see the tree that I had my swing in by the gate next to Tony's camp. That was like when I was a bit older, I had a rope swing there. I can see the cosmic tree. I can see... Oh, I can also see there's a... I had an abseiling cliff. Fairly deep in the woods, it had a huge swing that went out over this fairly big drop, and me and James built it up. And I used to take campers there when I used to find camping friends and just like, oh, come and see this fucking cool shit, like, outdoorish shit. And they were like, what the fuck? And what it was, it was this big, rocky, steep cliff that was pretty deathy. Like, if you fell down, it, you'd be dead. Um, and it had this little, little bit of rope that I tied down it to a tree that was tied up in between. And I used to yank myself to the top of this cliff with this little rope. And I had a swing that used to come out across this thing across this big, like, hollow opening in the woods. It was pretty deep in the woods as well. It wasn't, like, close to the field. And I used to go here often. And, uh, yeah, my main thing I used to do there is I used to play on the swing, and it was fucking scary. It used to give me an absolute buzz, like, a serious, like, thrill doing it. It makes you, like, live in the moment. Like, you had to be concentrating, basically. And, uh, yeah... So, like, I'd end up just sitting at the top of this cliff and finding sticks and trees and the biggest things, the better, to ch- chuck off the cliff. I loved it. I fucking loved it. There's a huge pile of just crap at the bottom. And I used to, like, abseil down the rope. And it was... Just, oh. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Yeah, I should really wrap up this fucking talk I've been chatting myself to death really for, for probably too long um but if people get around to listening to all of this which if they do well done well done there's so many imperfections there's probably half a podcast you can't even hear for wind I let out a great burp in the middle of it fucking yeah there's loads of pauses where I'm like oh I don't know what to say but if you like all that shit then uh, I'm glad you've listened and thank you uh, it's been like a a little insight to my life and i don't know w- my old home really it's been dead at, uh, i thought about this at work all day and i've been thinking about it my entire life since i left and to get it like i don't know to talk about it and to tell other people if they want to listen um would be a great it'd be a great thing and uh and i don't usually i don't meet people and just tell them the story of how i was born into uh, twelve years of living in a caravan and self sufficiency and off grid and 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 all of that and showering in a a bath outside and and not living with electricity and all of that I don't that nobody really knows that about me until until I'm really good mates with them really like really really good mates with them and then like i and then I remember that i need to oh shit i, I do you know I was like i lived in a caravan for twelve years I'm like what like <laughs> yeah, so like it's nice to put it out to someone or s- people that may it may be the first thing they hear and they may actually get intrigued by it and want to know more. And if you do, definitely fucking, I want to tell you more. I want to tell what, what, everyone on the planet about this. I would if I could, so, yeah. Yeah, and I'm just trying to get the message across that it should be more, should be more common. People should be doing this more often. It's, the world needs it and uh, and it had helped so many people, and yeah. Anyway, I need to wrap up this nearly three-hour podcast sat on a hill. Uh, I sat here mid-thunderstorm, and now I'm currently witnessing an absolutely beautiful sunset across the traditional Lake District mountains with uh, the view of my... Uh, previous farm below me uh, with a beautiful meandering river that runs longingly through the valley out to the sea and it comes from right next to my house currently in Sathwaite so I'm sure I'll be going down to that river later on this evening and saying hello so thanks very much for listening Uh, it's been me Seamus Uh, I hope you've enjoyed what I've had to say and uh come back for more podcasts in the future uh, it's just just nice to be able to uh, let people know what, what what's going on uh, yeah thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your day or evening people goodbye northern lights over and out